Thank you for listening to this Podcast One Sportsnet production, available on Apple Podcasts and Podcast One. Hey guys, I gotta say it. Pod just over. I can't lie. Sleepy and Daryl aren't happy. It went long. I told a story I've never told. I haven't told anyone in 10 years. And uh, it was, let's just say, revealing. Also, Brad Powers talked about the many, many times he's cried recently. True. (laughs) And great SEC talk. Brad did a full preview SEC. And also, we had a big debate, Alabama-Clemson, who should be favored. We disagreed on that one. Brad is the college expert, but I think I got a few good points in. Talking about points, get the best number you can. That means more books. BetDSI sponsors Podcast One, which is we're part of that family. And they gave this pod a special promo code. New members get a 100% bonus match. Use the promo code BELL101. B-L-L-101. Ring the bell. BELL101. Okay. Why bet DSI? Maybe that's not even the right question. Because any answer is going to be, oh, we got to go on faith. And to me, as much as I'm willing to trust someone that I trust, yeah, that makes sense. I'd rather them create a situation where I don't have to trust them. And I think that's what we got here with Bad DSI, meaning they're giving you with Bell 101 a 100% bonus match. Now, listen, anyone that's ever got a bonus knows you got the turnover requirement. So it's make sure you go look and you're happy with them. And it seems to me they're normal, but I don't, I'm not an offshore, you know, to me, I'm not an offshore expert, so you got to look and make sure you're happy with that. But assuming you are, and again, it feels by all accounts normal, you got two possibilities. One, the way they do these turnovers, quite frankly, is they, they figure, and this is the whole industry, they figure the theoretical hold on a bet, and they figure, okay, if we're holding 10%, make them go through it. 10 times. And it's not that they always want to make sure you're zeroing out theoretically, but they want to, you know, get kind of close. So you might think, well, wait a minute, RJ, then what am I really getting? Assuming I'm a normal gambler and not superior, then the bonus is going to get ate up by the running through the turnover, which is just effectively how many times you have to bet that, that balance. Because obviously you can't give a hundred percent bonus and let you withdraw immediately. <laughs> Imagine that. And let's also be honest, you're never going to hear anyone talk about this like this. But I think being a realist about it and it still being a good deal is the ultimate selling point. Let's say that it's break. Theoretically, you're going to break even. It doesn't mean you couldn't win a ton, could lose a ton. But let's say theoretically, by the time you turn over your bonus, it's exactly at zero. So you have no bonus. What did you gain? Well, you could say you gained the fun of all that batting with no loss. And since most batters lose, that's good. But I, that's, that's small. That's pessimistic even. I want to be a realist. I don't want to be a pessimist. But check this out. You will have beta tested a new out. And if the out is a good out, whatever it is you're measuring, if it's the app, if it's whatever, then you now have gained something that is so valuable, especially if you have less than three outs right now. If you have less than three outs, you need three outs. 
to be able to test bat DSI effectively at a cost of net zero with real money because of your bonus. That's a good deal. doesn't matter how much you put in, 100 matches, 100, 1,000, whatever it is, you're going to probably bet a similar you know, amount commensurate with your initial deposit. So even if you, there's no bonus left and you have every chance to allow there to be, you will have decided, is bet DSI for me? And if they are, you've got another out. And that's so much more valuable than matching your first. Because just think how many times you lose by a half point. And a, a certain real percentage of the time, Bet DSI is going to have a line that would have pushed instead of lost or won instead of pushed. That's it. That's what makes winners ultimately. Straight talk. BetDSI.com. Use Bell 101. Get that 100% bonus. Maybe win a lot. But for sure, find out if Bet DSI is for you. And considering the fact that football is coming up, Now's the time to figure that out. BetDSI.com, promo code Bell101, on to a very special show. Welcome to RJ Bell's Dream Preview. Weekly winners from his Wise Guy Roundtable. Broadcasting from the pregame.com studios in Las Vegas. Here is RJ Bell. That's right. And it's the special, not really special, but special because you got to be hardcore to listen. NBA Finals, Game 6, Game 7. That means the end of the series. Also, Brad Powers starting his famous at this point, I think it's fair to say, conference previews. He'll give you a pick in every freaking conference. And are we starting slow? No. We're starting with the SEC. Now, Brad, I didn't ask you. Securities and Exchange Commission or Southeastern Conference? Southeastern Conference. You could say best bet. No one gets indicted that's worth more than <laughs> $100 million. <laughs> and joined by the Wise Guy Roundtable. But it's just Brad, and he is going to shine. And RJ, cracking wise, correcting Brad as necessary. Fezzik, on his first vacation, he usually takes three or four. Yeah, so wait for it. So there's one. <laughs> this is one. Yep. Last year, I think it was four. But, yeah. but hey, listen, if, he'll tell you how much he works the other times. It's a grind. Oh, my gosh. I mean, he got, one day he got up yeah. at 7.45. Three NBA games a week. <laughs> Let's do it, baby. Showtime. Woo. And actually, it probably is one of those demarcators, this kind of show, is if you're here thinking Brad and any right-thinking person is going to think this, that Brad really knows his stuff, that I know the NBA pretty well. I don't even think that's fair to say. I think that I see things in the NBA that that I don't hear much. That's certainly true. So I have some fresh takes might be the way. Like if you were getting a comprehensive, if you could just have one source, I don't, I, I'm pretty sure I wouldn't be that. But I think if you had seven sources, you'd want you know me to be one of the seven, hopefully. At least that's what I strive for. So it's going to be the, you know, the content. And also we got something fascinating for the deep dive guys. When it comes to future bets versus mechanical parlays, every wannabe wise guy thinks, oh, mechanical parlays better. And 
<laughs> RJ, I see your future bat. Don't you think a mechanical parlay would be better? Yeah, okay, buddy. You're probably right most of the time. It's just this boring radio, right? I mean, it's like Fezzik for about three years. It's like, so what's your favorite future? Uh, I don't bet any futures. It's like, it's really a proxy for who's the team you think that's underrated, (laughs) right? We're not saying go make some best bet on it. So, but there is a very specific time that those wannabes, they're wrong. And we'll, I think we saw it in this series. And I think it's worth talking about. Also, first time I've seen it, Holla, or I'm sorry, the hard knocks research. Mackie did some work on that. How does it affect the team? In one way, I think you're going to be shocked. It's, it's against what everyone thinks. But I ha- haven't seen the game by game till now. And let's talk about Brad. Last thing before we get to it. There's two ways to think about Brad without Fez. And I, you, I think you guys think I'm joking. You know, we've got an impartial observer, new producer, Daryl. Producer Mike's up. Do you see it there? I don't think we've talked about this, that Brad has the eyes of a hunter. Like, <laughs> like Fe- He likes Fez, but Fez is his prey. I think Brad is here to prove something today. Yeah, but I'm saying every day... He's jockeying for position to be in my favor. I can see that. And some people would say this would be the proper theme for that. I've got to tell you, it's just occurred to me what the student body has been chanting for the last two or three minutes. It's the name Rudy. Now, others would say, Brad specifically, that this is the theme of today's show. Now, last week we had face-off. Brad would probably say this. He was the baddest cat around until I showed up. Mm-hmm. Now, in my opinion, here's the theme of the show. And you might think, where's the connection? Have you ever been accused of doing something you didn't do? Well, it happened to me in Mexico City. <laughs> <laughs> That's one of the greats. Because really, we don't know where Fezzik is, so he no. could be in Mexico City. No, we don't know. There is a rumor. <laughs> Van Vliet stuff's just getting out of hand. Oh, my God. And on the Fox show, this will be the only, let's have a little fun for a minute. On the Fox show, this is sound that somehow Daryl procured. And it was right after Freddie Van Vliet. And for new listeners or those that don't listen too closely sometimes as you're doing the laundry and such, Fez loved Van Vliet. It's that simple. Beyond all reason. Like love, like a Shakespearean sonnet. (laughs) Then he had a couple bad weeks. And that's all it took. Years of love. Fez said, no, it's over. Formal separation. We've had some fun with it. But when Freddie Van Vliet, and listen, we're not saying it's homoerotic or, you know, there can be love between men and it not be, you know, romantic or, or physical, I guess. And we're not saying it's not. I don't know. How could we know? And we wouldn't, hey, we wouldn't judge. And listen, the, the reality is 
good-looking men succeed more in life. It, it's not that everyone's, all the guys are gay. It's, you know, if Brad Pitt's saying we're going to one place and Paul Giamonte's saying we're going to another. We're going with Brad Pitt. I am. If I can, <laughs> you know, if I can get it on that list, I'm getting on that list. So I think a, <laughs> I think at minimum, Fez appreciates the, uh, you know, symmetry. Yeah, the jawline. The jawline and such. So anyway, <laughs> when he got hurt, and, and his looks got compromised, Freddie. It was like, I wonder how Fez is doing. I swear to God, it was my only thought. And then he didn't show up on Monday. Mm-hmm. Now, I know there's talk about vacation, but I, I don't think it was really locked in. Do you? I mean, no, like, I it, don't think he was, you know, I might be here. I might not. And then on the on the company voicemail. So we hardly ever check that. I mean, it's, you know, it's, it's people, you know, it's usually like uh, telemarketing calls and stuff. I don't think Fezzik ever called the company voicemail. He usually texts me directly or you. Or yep. This is what we found. Now, I, I'm going to say this ahead of time. It sounds doctored. <laughs> so who, who would do that? I don't know. But let's listen and you, you decide for yourself, really. Ready? Me. Me. So, <laughs> so you clearly hear Freddie needs me. But it doesn't sound... I mean, some of it sounds like Fazig. Yeah, it does. Let's let's just one more time. All right, so it's Freddie needs me. That would be a strange, but it would make sense he would leave it on a voicemail we wouldn't check for a while because then he could say, I left it. I didn't know you guys, you know. Nerdiest player in the game. He doesn't even know what car he drives. <laughs> All right, here we go. One more time. Freddie needs me. What do you think, Daryl? I think that's definitely Fez. (laughs) (laughs) And then honestly on Twitter, someone was sent me a picture of the home of Freddie or the hometown he grew up in. And it has the thing that says Freddie's, it says Freddie, it says Freddie's our man and they're rooting him on. And someone's swear to God on Twitter, they said they spotted Fezzik. Oh, wow. So is he like with the family? Like the like his parents? Tough times after that elbow to the face. I don't know. All right, let's get into the games themselves. <laughs> we might have to, you know, just to kind of wipe that off, we'll, we'll do a whole new showtime. <laughs> All right, Brad, let's reset the series price. And I really think there's something here with the series price, to be honest, meaning, boy, there's a lesson to be learned. Right now... Toronto minus 300, Golden State plus 250. So let's assume the minus 300 is the right number, which obviously it's going to be, you know, no VIG it out. It's going to be somewhere around 275. So we're looking at a, uh, let's think about this, a 75% chance at minus 300. So Toronto's still clearly, clearly favored. Now game six, and we're recording on, Wednesday. Game six, current number? Toronto is a two and a half point underdog at Golden State. Okay. And that's, uh, did we get that updated? Yep, that is updated. Money's been pouring in on Toronto. Open right around a four point underdog Toronto. Money's been pouring in. It's down to two and a half. He goes, Freddie needs me. Yep. That wasn't you on that voicemail? That was, M- that was me? A, yeah, it was a pretty good need Heck. you hit right then. You know something, when you have an ear like I, a professional national host level mm. ear, you can, it just comes with the territory, buddy. Mm. I mean, who do you think does Haystack Hank? 
I don't know. I've been trying to figure that out. <laughs> we'll probably have Haystack. You know, it's SEC territory. Perfect podcast for Haystack. Oh, that's something. Talk about a tease ahead. <laughs> All right. So here's what shocks me. And let's talk about where we are. Then we'll talk about how we got there. Then we'll talk about where we're going. Really, when there's only two games, it's not going to be too far off the line. You can look at the series price, and if you knew the math, you can impute out what game seven would be. Uh, Now, there could be a reevaluation. Someone gets injured or a team plays really badly. You know, obviously, in this case, it would have to be Toronto, you know, because if they win, it's over. I was shocked at how much value Durant got. I mean, the mar- I know we say the markets are generally rational, but Brad, you sat here every day, didn't you know, miss a day, and we were looking at Golden State as they had that amazing streak with Steph and without Durant, you know, thirty-two and two, blah blah, and we're all wringing our hands saying, "What could this be?" And it got to the point where the lines felt like they were pretty much what they would be if Durant played. Like if you would have said a week before Durant got hurt, imagine it's game four in Portland, you know, and it's 3-0. The line was pretty much there. Wouldn't you agree? Yeah, within a point. No question about it. I I might even be closer than that. I felt, let me think of the one that, well, let's think about it. Because there was a game... I guess we were thinking about game three when Clay, the one that told me that the Golden State was just getting valued through the roof was when Clay was, I think by most accounts, let's just say at best 50 50 to play. I felt like, and we sat on the show, I did. He was I felt like he had a slim chance of playing. Yep. But I think the market probably thought 50 50. The way the price was with Clay. The line probably because it the way it ended up dropping when he didn't play, it would have probably got up to six or so if Clay played and they felt like he was healthy. Yep, fair enough. What would the line be, Toronto? I mean, that's saying that the Golden State's two points better, four points for home. If Durant's playing, is it really much higher than six? And Clay's playing. That's funny because I go back to – and li- this is how absurd some of the, this is. Toronto played at Golden State in the regular season. But remember, there are a lot of injuries. In- I get it. But in this game, it was Golden State had Kevin Durant, had Steph Curry, and Toronto didn't have Kawhi Leonard. And in that game, Golden State was about an eight-point home favorite. That's what I'm saying. Now, I do agree in general playoff lines are going to be a little higher. And we see it in the NFL Agreed. all the time. Because you know you've – well, in the NBA, you don't know you have focus. But based on the zigzag, you can have a pretty good idea. Um, and in the NFL playoffs, you know if New England's laying 10 and a half, they're going to play hard and they're going to get margin if they can. So I'm not saying he wasn't potentially worth a point. But I, I tell you this, it would be hard to make a case that Durant was being valued at more than a point, right? Let's say up until and including game three. Totally agree with that. But now, somehow, some way, Golden State with a Durant that in the best of circumstances had a big question mark beside him. Literally, he was not able to play the game before. So this isn't an injury that goes like a 
a binary from zero to one. This is a progressive. It's getting better. So if you're not able to play one day and a couple days later is a game and you're able to play, you're not 100%. Would you agree? agree? Agree. Hadn't practiced by all accounts. But somehow Golden State... And I get they they were max motivated, but you don't you don't think Toronto was max motivated in that game? Golden State closed one, right? Yep. So if you shopped, you got to push. Yep. That means that Golden State is five points better with Durant than Toronto, which means they'd be nine points at home. A team that outplayed them pretty much the whole series. And I get Durant's an X factor. It didn't make any sense. Yeah, when we saw at least a four-and-a-half-point line move, and you were correct, RJ, in saying that original three-and-a-half-point line with Toronto being fared was already factored in, at least a small chance that Kevin Durant was going to play in the game. So it just, everyone got excited. And, and to me, where I took the opportunity, though I don't like the bet now, but the wisdom of it makes sense. And again, obviously, we even when we make a bet, I mean, if I made a bet... <laughs> For a third of my net worth, I probably am rooting for injuries. I never do that, though. So, in general, it's all normal, you know, half Kelly or whatever bets. And if you're new and you want to dig into the math, it's the Kelly criterion. The reason you might go half Kelly or even less is the certainty in blackjack of your edge is much higher than in sports betting. Uh, people are pretty good if they're professionals at knowing they have an edge, but how big is it? And if you're off on that, you're off on Kelly because it uses it, so you get get conservative. The line was minus 600 Toronto to win. Now, think about it. If it's three coin flip games, that's going to be minus 700, right? Because it's, it's eight, eight, you know, eight and one. So, you know, what they're saying is somehow, some way, even at minus 600, it was going to be like a variation of Toronto – coin flip. Now remember, this 600 though came out before Durant was known yeah. to play. So Toronto's going to be favored in games 5 and 7. That's right? what I'm saying is is even the 600 felt short based on the assumptions. But I get it. Golden State's Golden State. When Durant becomes eligible or, or is known to play, there were minus 420s out there. The team, Golden State needed to win three straight games and it's only minus 420 with Toronto. I gave it out on the radio. Now, they lose. Now, where's the game supposed to go? Because if you, the game was a coin, and, and obviously it's Toronto that lost. It was a coin flip game. Golden State was favored by one, but you could say it's a coin, you know, 50 50. Minus 600 would become minus 300, right? Minus 420, you know, you cut that in half pretty much. Again, you can, but here's the difference. Now Durant's out. So the assumption that moved, and in a way it shows the wisdom of what we're saying. If we assume Durant was out the whole time, the, the line would have stayed minus 600. They win a coin flip game, though it wouldn't have been a coin flip if Durant didn't play. It would have went to minus 300. So the fact that right now it's minus 300 makes sense based on the original minus 600. But the idea that Durant moves at 180 cents. And we didn't know how healthy. Exactly. It, it just feels like this was an irrational market with Durant. And I know this for sure. Toronto laying six in game three if Clay were healthy. And Durant moving the line for, you know, three, three and a half points. At least, yeah. They don't go together. Because under that theory... Or Golden State would be nine and a half. Let's say Durant moves the line three and a half. Durant wasn't playing that minus six game three 
if Clay had played, because if you look at the way that it was, you might say, how do you know what it would have been? Well, it was priced like at four, it was like four and a half for a long time. Remember, it opened six. We knew Clay was her. It went to five and a half. It went to six again, right? It's yep. Some, it was the sixes were out there for a while, even with uncertainty with Clay. So if we, he was guaranteed to play at least six, right? How yep. can you debate it? Open there with the uncertainty. You add three and a half to Durant, it's nine and a half. I'd be all over Toronto. Well, yeah, it's just irrational. So in general, I feel like that Durant's just being priced in an irrational way. Now he's out, which makes me want to bet going state. Here's the case we made for Golden State that I think if you're a fan, you can squint. You know how they say if you turn your head a certain way, you could see, you know, Brad looks like, who do you, what movie star would you say? Oh, geez. Uh, I would say um, Mrs. Garrett from The Facts of Life. I don't even know who that is. <laughs> wow, man. <laughs> <laughs> you didn't watch The Facts of Life, no. man. That's she always kept her hair up in a bun. <laughs> Look, look that up right now. <laughs> I don't want to. I'm get mad. I'm and joking. I'm <laughs> I don't know if anyone could tell. I was joking. I think collectively there was about 120,000 people spitting food out. <laughs> and I was one of them. <laughs> you know, a third of the audience. Well, this isn't football, so maybe a little less. <laughs> but you could say, oh, Brad looks like him. Maybe Tom Sizemore from an angle. I think you could make the following case. Golden State splits in Toronto. Hard to complain. Golden State loses game three because not only was Durant out, plays out. You can't lose your first and third guy. They lose game four. Now, here's where you start stretching a little bit. They lose game four because Curry. Why, why could Curry have a couple of games without Durant and do well? and get worn down. It's because the guy hasn't played as the alpha, as the lead guy for three years. Yep. And we talk about it all the time. When there's an injury, people will step up and say, I'm going to step up. I, I can carry double suitcases. Humans are like that. They, you know, teamwork in a company gets to be a month later. It's like, you want me to keep coming in at six 30 in the morning? Aren't you going to hire the, his replacement? Okay. These are playoff games. These are tough games. And the only game in the series with only one day off was between three and four. And I actually really liked Toronto at when, when it was still Clay uncertain because I was willing to bet on that Clay wasn't going to play. And, and I think I was still getting four, four and a half. This was like an hour before the game. And the rationale to me was if Golden State's even down 15 with – Nine minutes left. He might just sit Curry was my thought. Knowing that this is the only, in Curry in this case, knowing that this is the only one day rest, yeah, we got a chance to come back. But I'd, if we don't, if we try and don't, it's like in tennis with the fifth. Sometimes if someone's down in the fourth set, so they're up two sets to one, they're down in the fourth, uh, five games to one or whatever, they give that game away. They don't even try because even if they break or whatever, it's going to be so hard to win the set. And they're worried. They feel like they have less energy than their opponent. Now, if you're better physically, you want to fight and make him fight or her. To me, I really felt that was possible. Not only didn't Kerr do that, what did he do? Yeah, I mean, Curry plays 42 minutes, and 
gets 47 points. and Which is not the problem. It's some of those minutes came when the game was out of, out of reach. I mean, a minute and a half left. Curry's diving for loose balls and on how, the floor. What, what was the margin? points. Yeah, I mean, there was like a 3% chance of them coming back. Exactly. And anyone that watched Curry, in the, I mean, listen, I'm not saying I know enough to know what Curry should have done. Assume that that mistake was huge. And if you did watch that, as we said, boy, he didn't look right physically, Curry. Would you agree? Not nowhere near what he was in game three. Yeah, or what he was in game five, right? I mean, meaning energy. Uh, or would you say he was? I mean, you game think he was. five, he looked okay. And are we just looking at the stat sheet or are we looking at his play? Because I'm just talking energy. You can make or miss shots. If you're tired or not, I get it. But man, I, I mean, both him and Clay were really money when it counted. You know, in the last couple minutes, that's of a good the game. point. Yeah, I mean, if you're still got your legs, yeah. in Game Five at the end of the finals, you probably aren't that tired coming in. Yes, and I think he did, if I remember, sit them in a spot where even Mark Jackson, I'm not sure if he was. Uh, I guess he's still. I mean, really, you think about it, a guy's never going to get a coaching job. You take a team. Try to drill them to be like it's 1985 or whatever. And then they literally win a title the next year and win the most games in NBA history the year <laughs> yeah. after. But he had, I give him credit. I mean, I don't know if he was trolling the country, but did you hear what he said? No. He goes, Well, if I had my title hopes on the line, this is not the lineup I'd be starting with. Ooh. But he said it like almost like, I don't get it. It's meaning he's admitting he doesn't understand what Kerr's doing. He admit, you know, obviously they've had great success. Yeah. I almost respect it. But but he didn't even, I didn't hear him say it. He just kind of hinted it, which I would have rather him say, listen, guys, I coached his team. You know, like, you know, if you say it, what is, what's anyone going to really say? Right. But, you know, that was interesting. But they did get them a little bit rested for the end. All right. Let's talk about the game itself. So, so I guess to put a bow on that point. If you're if you're a Golden State fan, you can explain away the home losses. And they won on the road now. So they're now two out of three on the road. And there's a stat everyone's talking about, four straight road wins. Yep. Right. You know, Colin, I listen, I respect Colin. On the show that we do you know, straight out of Vegas on Fox, our LA correspondent. Or what's no, he's sort of the uh We'll call him. He's the guy that dishes the assists, right? Jonas does a great job. Jonas Knox. Him and Colin have some feud going. I don't know anything about it. I really like Colin. This is where I go. I go to Vegas via the Coward Global Satellite Network. RJ Bell. Pregame.com. But I don't always agree with Colin. He was saying, oh, home games. Home doesn't matter in this series. Well, look at the freaking spread. If you don't think it matters, you should be betting the road team for the max. And Collins max, when you know, as published reports show, making like six mil, six sticks a year. (laughs) And we love our sticks. That's our aspiration. Wags, five sticks wired now to Wendy Rhodes' personal account. Imagine that, Brad. Like, what do you think? Let's say things go great for you, the best they can. When's the first time you can legitimately paint me a quick picture of the first time you can legitimately use the word sticks to represent a million dollars? Oh, my God. I, I can't even imagine it hardly, RJ, because, I mean, that's so cool. I, I'm thinking when I sell pregame, you could say, Mofo sold that thing for 250 sticks. <laughs> 
I'll tell you what, that'd be awesome. <laughs> I like it. But listen, we're let's be honest. You know, I've been here for 21 years. Vegas, I work really hard, had, you know, had some success. But we are not in a position to call a million sticks yet. <laughs> no, not even that, close. That's our goal, though. Yes. It is our professed goal, like Bobby Axelrod. What a good season this year. You know, the second half especially, if you're a Billions fan, I thought, or maybe the last third especially, was really good. And if you don't watch Billions and you listen to this, try it. All right. But I do think the market, and if we see the Toronto money, it's probably discounting home a little bit. But the idea, I mean, if this game were in Toronto, Toronto wouldn't be an underdog. No, no question. So usually it's an eight-point swing, Yep, four to four. Maybe it's moving to six and a half. I can agree with that because right now if we're using four, it's saying that Toronto's one and a half points better than Golden State. That just seems like an overreaction to what we've seen the lines before. Yeah, you're right. It it would be saying because four... Yeah, because line's only two and a half. Golden State, two and a half. I think that somewhere people thought Durant... Now, let's talk... This is now a couple days later. So let's talk about where we've landed on the Durant stuff. We've talked it through. Everyone's had their opinion. And here's mine. And Brad, why don't I let you do yours? I've had a chance to do mine a bunch, and I'll counterpunch off you. So right now, if we said, hey, Brad... It's your old buddy. What's your? Give me a buddy's name back home. Scott. It's Scotty. What's up, Brad? What do you think of Durant thing? I know you're a pro and all, but you got time to tell me. Call me back. Oh, it's ranting. I, I thought you know Durant coming back. Uh, you know, obviously. And look, I, I'm going to give the assist to my my boss, RJ Bell. Made a lot of sense. Free roll. Are you kidding me? If if they lose that game. Uh, look, does that hurt Kevin Durant? No, they're already getting beaten in the series 3-1. So, so just to be clear, the theory was, and we talked about this before the game, was other than injury, and I did not caveat that. Yeah. Because this day and age, there's so few. I mean, really, the Achilles, or I guess what uh, Paul George, you know, like that was a disaster, and it took a couple years yeah. to come back. But when I was growing up in the 80s, people got hurt like that all the time. Now with technology, they blow out their knee, and it seems, I mean, it's not a bad blowout. It seems like they're back in like four Six, weeks yeah. or something. I mean, <laughs> yeah. back in the day, it was like, you know, Gail, you've got to wonder if Gail, Gail Sayers would have been back in three weeks. Or I don't know, how, you know, with today's technology, what they could have done. But just the idea that one bad cut on a drain pipe or whatever, storm drain, and one of the greats is down. It's just not like that now. No, it's not. But my thought was Durant comes back. If he plays poorly, it still looks good. It's like, dude, we know how good Durant is. That's not Durant. That guy gutted it out and tried at least, right? So yep. positive brand. If he comes back and they win the freaking thing. Mount Rushmore. Mount Rushmore. <laughs> and if he comes back, plays well, and Golden State still loses – Hey, I did my best. Look, yep. put up 22, whatever. I did, And then here's the thing. And now that it's happened, it's more important. You can't be medically cleared to play as he was and not play in the finals and think you're going to get out unscathed. You know, I just don't feel it's ready. They're not, I mean, everyone's going to judge him harshly. Or not everyone. A He'd lot, have been killed. He would have got killed. Yeah. That's probably the best way to say it. And... 
he had nothing but upside brand wise and nothing but downside if he didn't play. And these are the freaking NBA finals. You know, Stephen A was ranting and raving about it. And I mean, I can't lie, I agree with Stephen A about a lot of things. Talking about the great one, RJ Bell. And in this case, <laughs> love it. In this case, he was right. He goes, What are you guys talking about? This is the finals. Like, what is what was the odds of Durant getting hurt like that? Maybe they were improved because most doctors believe, at least that I've heard, if you're hurt, you know, you hurt your knee, it increases the chance you hurt your ankle. You're compensating. I was doing a little dance there. Is the idea of him getting hurt was far less than 10%, though. Even, I mean, I think that sounds gigantic. But let's say it was 10%. What are you playing for next year? A title. You have a chance to win a title now. Well, and money. He's getting paid regardless. He's going to get a max regardless. He knew it coming in. When he was doing his calculating, you don't think that he had his age. When he was thinking of when to come back, you don't think his agents tried to figure out if he would still get the max. And today it was reported the Knicks are going to give it to him. So we'll see. Um, but even if the Knicks don't, I, I'm, I would make a – I think we said, would you take 10 to 1? I would not take 10 to 1. And here's the bet is Durant doesn't get a max offer. And if you're right, the answer is no. And you're right, you would get 10 to 1, 100 wins you 1,000. You wouldn't even take that bet. I wouldn't take that bet. I agree with you. I mean, I think it's over 90%. So if you're going to get paid anyway – and the worst case is he has an option for 31 and a half sticks. <laughs> and, you know, he goes, proves himself, and he's all right. He's got enough money. Not that he doesn't deserve it, but he's got enough. But it does go to show you, actually, does he have enough? You know, you got the, the, the enough as in this. When does it all end, huh? How many yachts can you water ski behind? How much is enough? <laughs> There's that enough. And then there's enough as it, are the max guys getting enough of the revenue share? Because as we've said a couple of times, LeBron, if it was a true free market, even with a cap, forget if a team's going to overpay irrationally, but even with a cap, LeBron probably gets half the cap if it's just a free market in his prime. Yep. I think I've seen estimates of 60 mil. You know, a couple years ago, he would have got Durant would have been right there. Let's just say 50. So if you're worth 50 sticks and you're getting paid, you know, I don't, what's the 31, I think now. Okay. Yep. It, and I know that was the opt-in. So yep. yeah, that means you're way underpaid. And that means what happens? The team's got to kiss, you know, it becomes about other things than the money. Everyone, if, if Durant is healthy, who doesn't give him the max that has it on their but, you know, if they have the room. Every team would. Exactly. So now it's saying he's under. If every team will say yes to a price, the price should keep going up. And that's why I think LeBron, he figured that out soon enough. So he started having his friends and his buddies get jobs as trainers and whatever. Who knows? It's like the mob where, you know, people are getting <laughs> paid out of the pizza shop. And he saw by once a week for the check or the no-show jobs on the Sopranos. And... I don't listen. Allegedly, I don't know. I'm guessing they're not getting a job without doing that without LeBron. But let's say in most cases, that's a pretty good bet. There might be exceptions. And really, I think that's hurt LeBron because what they're saying is A players don't want to go there because they figure LeBron has such entrenched power. 
And now you got Kobe, you know, who knows, wanting to buy the team eventually or at least be the face. You got Magic still from the outside now fighting for power. You got the Rambuses, apparently. You read these stories. You got the buses fighting amongst themselves. <laughs> I mean, like a good soap opera. Yeah, I mean, even if Paul George shows up, <laughs> you know, back, you know, last year, it's like, how much power would he have? None. And a guy like a Paul George wants power. I don't know about Paul George's personality, but if you're one of the, I mean, where's Paul George now? Top 15 players in the NBA. Easily, yep. And I mean, his defense, too. It's not as obvious just on offense, but his defense is elite. So I think some of the accommodations that have to be made for a guy like Durant and LeBron specifically sometimes can hurt a team. But the fact that Durant is still getting max offers that would seem he's going to when the case could be made, and I would make a major bet, and I'm going to say this, not soliciting a bet, but in theory, get my tax number. I don't think we ever see the Kevin Durant we saw before he got hurt in the playoffs. The Kevin Durant that played this year, the Kevin Durant that played last year. I don't know if he got a little better, but I think he was in the same range this year and last year, right? Before yep. he got hurt. I don't think we ever see that again. Now, you did some work, Brad, when it came to, and actually got the player by player, the, uh, you have an interesting way of pronouncing this, the Achilles injuries or injury, <laughs> and uh, give us the, what the prognosis is. Well, first, the recovery day, and this is on average, you know, some of the more elite players that have suffered an Achilles tear <laughs> in the last 25 years. Recovery time right around nine months, RJ, is the average recovery time. And going through this list, and I'll just list a couple of names, DeMarcus Cousins, Kobe Bryant, Chauncey Billups, Dominique Wilkins. I thought actually this stat probably, you know, grasped the, the entirety of it. And it's called VORP, so bear with me. It's just value over replacement player. And every single one of these players either stayed the same or got worse. Well, how, how many stayed the same? One. Okay, so... So, out of these uh, nine guys listed, everyone seven got... Seven got worse. Seven got worse. One, one got stayed better. the same, yeah. and one got better. And that's the following year. The, yes. the next year they play. Yep. Which sometimes might have been a year and a half later. Yes. They got hurt in the middle. Okay. So, the one player that got better? Dominique Wilkins. Ooh, Dominique. Now, what, what did Kevin Durant hurt? Achilles. Guy nice antitoko umpo. How's your speech? Um, yeah, it looks like I got to you know, double up on the classes. Guy nice antitoko umpo. I mean, that is footage, yep. audio footage from your lessons. Yep, that's how I used to say it. Is she hot? Uh, let's listen. Guy nice antitoko umpo. She sounds foreign. Yeah, not my thing. <laughs> exotic in a way. <laughs> not my kind of exotic. <laughs> oh, no one wants to know that. Lord, <laughs> I mean, <laughs> bro, I, there's never yeah. been the proper use of this. Hey now, <laughs> you are correct. <laughs> He's doing that, like, man. Yeah. You know what's brilliant about that? Did you know what you just did there? No. So that's Hank Kingsley from the Larry Sanders show. And he was, he mo he was modeled after Ed McMahon. And you did the Ed McMahon to Johnny Carson 
Ah, that was clever. That was just serendipity, nice. I guess. Serendipity. <laughs> yeah, there you go. All right. I I mean, would you let's just use VoIP as the gauge? <laughs> if I say that if we look at this year's number, well, that's interesting. If you had multiple years to beat it, now I guess I still would make that bet, though I wouldn't love that bet because the theory is he has a, a stray off year. But here's the thing. Typically, the first year back, the player suffers his performance. Yep. Second year back, suffers less. Third year back, he's back. But Durant's going to be how old at that point? Like 34. The theory is a 34-year-old Durant can't play like a 29-year-old Durant. And we saw that with LeBron this year. Yeah, now the question with LeBron is he's a physical freak in a way that, you know, in a positive way that I don't think Durant is, though his wingspan, and all, I mean, like durability, you know, just that body. I mean, he and he spends, you know, a, what is it, like multiple millions a year just to, yeah. you know, have traveling, you know, uh, nutritionists and massage. I mean, he has a team it goes with. Yeah, the sleep thing that they do. And it, hey, listen, the guy, I'll tell you this, when LeBron went down, you never worried about him getting up. I know this year he finally, but how many times did he go down in a, a pile? That guy always you, got back up. I mean, you know, that's actually a good segue into this because we're going to have a reoccurring theme. It's when Brad cries. <laughs> it's kind of like Girls Gone Wild. So you're on record for crying when Tiger Woods yeah. won. The Masters, yep. And, and to me, it was like, I get why people around, you know, you're young, you're 35 or so, I'm mid-40s. Fez is much older, moving towards 60 like a freaking freight train. And <laughs> Jeez. like a freight train? <laughs> Night train. <laughs> but the funny thing is, on, on the Fox show, and guys, we've been hitting our stride. And, Brad, and all joking aside, Brad's been killing it. But we were talking about how Fez beat you out of that, you know, money oh, on the weightlifting. And Daryl wasn't here. He goes, old man strength. <laughs> That's why he's there with Freddie Van Fleet. <laughs> he's there to give him some support and some muscle. Think about it. I don't want to. Okay. <laughs> That's something. Give him some muscle. Is that what these kids are calling it today? So now. <laughs> That's pretty good. So now we could have Brad tell us what he said, but luckily we got the sound. I cried. I'm not afraid to admit it. I cried. Oh, I like the music underneath. <laughs> you know what's interesting? It's almost like the master's music. <laughs> you know what's interesting? It took a lot of cutting to get yeah. it like this. You say it both in the, the past tense and the present. I think it's present perfect or progressive where it's now and ongoing. Oh, wow. Listen again. I cried. I'm not afraid to admit it. I cried. I cried. So you're saying I cried mm. and I cry. It's like someone say, yeah. I, um, let's say, ate 50 apple pies in a week. You know, I did. Yeah, I do eat 50 apple pies in a week. It's like, what, every freaking week? <laughs> so it sounds like you cried again. Tell us about it. I got to think, what, what instance are we talking about here? Well, you, you admitted that when LeBron won the title, 
Oh, yeah. See, I cry a lot, so I got to <laughs> pinpoint which one I, I admitted to. But we're not talking about after bad dates yeah, yeah. or whatever. Game 7, 2016 NBA Finals. Cleveland finally brings, and LeBron specifically, brings a championship home to a starved, craved championship city of Cleveland. I was sitting there with my best friend. We're in the city of Cleveland. We both shed some tears that night. Is your best friend a man or a woman? A man. Oh, no. Brad, how did you totally just miss him just saying after a bad date? You went right into <laughs> Cleveland. But sometimes skipping over it gives yeah. it less attention. That I might see. be the right move. Yeah. Thank you for bringing that up. <laughs> no, he, I wasn't going to let him skate on that. Jeez. Are you surprised at my tears, sir? Strong men also cry. <laughs> Strong men also cry. <clears throat> You're always forgiven, Brad. Thank you. <laughs> I think it's worse that I couldn't think of what particular instance I cried. That didn't help. No. I'll be doing an edit on that. <laughs> yeah. Jeez. All right. So we, to me, to wrap up the Durant stuff, you know, obviously no one's wishing for it. Just as obviously he had to play or there would have been real ramifications. Uh some people, Bernie Frado, the weekend host of Straight Out of Vegas, weekends only though. He, <laughs> you want to tell that story? No, but you should. <laughs> what are you afraid he's going to hear you tell yeah, the story? True. Jesus uh, Christ! Yeah. Are you trying to like make everyone your buddy? No, I should. Then you're nobody's body. Ooh, if you're everybody's good body. Good point. So yeah, Bernie Frado gets a guest appearance on Straight Out of Vegas as we're taping this on Wednesday, and. Uh, Let's just say Bernie, you know, came in to do a particular spot. RJ gave him some very sound advice, and Bernie didn't take heat. Well, what happened was, I mean, let's just be straight. Bernie, we were playing it up like Howard Stern style where we have a mystery guest, and we said he's a medical authority, (laughs) right? Well, Bernie's no medical authority. He just has strong opinions. But he wanted it. Like, he called me after the show goes, you're uh, the day before, so Tuesday here. He goes, you're so wrong. He goes, Durant's going to come back better than ever. And I'm like, <laughs> I'm like, okay, Bernie, I believe that that's what you believe. He goes, let me tell you why. And he starts rattling this stuff off. I'll be honest, I was tired. So I'm like, you know, I didn't figure he'd come in. I say, just come on in. He goes, all right, I'll be there. You know, but Bernie's good. I, first of all, Bernie's a friend. Number two, he's fun because he's either going to do good stuff where he's going to do stuff to make fun of. So either way, it works for a quick hit, you know. Yeah. And on the weekend, he kills it. I mean, he's got a following. I mean, he's got a a different delivery than I do. But listen, the guy had many years of success in radio in Detroit. So give the guy a ton of credit. And I like what he does now. It's not my style, though. It's a little prepared. And, and it's hard to be overprepared, right? I'm an extemporaneous guy, probably to a fault. So (laughs) to me, we had to have fun with him being the medical authority. So I said, Bernie, I'm going to say Dr. Bernie. No, I said, I'm going to ask you to state your credentials like they do on the stand, right? And (laughs) yes, but do you not also hold a day job, pain job, a a square job? You know, what's your square job was the question effectively. 
And I told him, I gave him a couple answers. I said, say you used to watch Doogie Howser. Or then we thought about it and said, say you watch DR every episode twice. That would have been funny. <laughs> and now you diffuse the jokes over and we can get to your take. Instead, he got all defensive and was saying, well, what I do is I aggregate information and I have, you know, decades of sources. It's like, Bernie, if, if I didn't want you to have your say, you wouldn't be on the show. You don't have to. And then he made, so to me, when someone goes against me on air. Uh-oh. Yeah, it was tough. Yeah. I started making fun of him for being the weekend host. No one was listening. Yeah. You, I told him you were going for that gig even. Yeah. He looked at you with mean eyes. He did. I was supposed to be on that show in a couple of weeks. We'll see if that lasts. I, I could wave my hand. <laughs> oh, jeez. <laughs> the power. But I'll tell you this, all joking aside, we couldn't have fun with Bernie like this if we didn't like Bernie. But Bernie, it's, it's his best quality and his worst which is he takes everything so seriously. His best because all the success he's had, you know, he's got a whole other square job. He's not a doctor. And he does, he's like a VP or something. He's he put his kid through college. But he also can't, you know, he had trouble with the joke. So, but it, it struck me you were enjoying it. I do from time to time. Get <laughs> like, some fresh blood in here. Serve it up to the shark. The shark known as the great white shark, RJ Bell. You know what's funny? <laughs> is an old friend of mine who runs sales, Tom, and he's been, you know, he was in my wedding and all that stuff, is, you know, so all the history together. And I trust him, you know, literally with my bank account. I mean, I, you know, we audit the trail, but we trust him. He, when he's out here, I only get to see him, you know, every three months when he comes out. And uh, for like a quarterly meeting or whatever. And he's out for a week usually, though. I just kill him the whole week. And everyone says it's like around us, you know, in our personal lives. When you are here, Tom, we don't get any heat. It's a respite for us. Because <laughs> I got to get three yeah. months of ball busting in in, in a week. Yeah. And, and let's be honest, Tom has a ton to bust on. <laughs> All right, so... I'm not optimistic. I don't think you are either that he's going to be as good as he was. Yeah, I'm not. I'm with you, RJ. But he's still worth a max contract, it seems, which tells you how underpaid the best guys are, and that sounds goofy to say. I also noticed today, you know, he had the surgery, and Golden State seemed to be nowhere in the picture. Now, some people thought that didn't mean anything. Boy, it seems like having even a Golden State jersey somewhere in the hospital room, yeah. right? I mean, just yeah. Th listen, those guys that are very focused on social media are thinking what message is being. I mean, they're masters, the ones that have a big following, at sending messages that aren't necessarily explicit. They're telling a story. Yeah, LeBron's great at that. Yeah. Well, yeah. Uh, the passive aggressive. No, yeah, that's a yeah. good point. Yeah, it's like subtweeting in a way. Yeah, you know, saying something like. You know, how goofy would it be for someone in the gambling industry to have inside information that others could benefit from on a Super Bowl prop? Let's just say a halftime song and hold it for yourself and then laugh at your colleagues for not sharing it because they lost. You know, I could just say that abstractly <laughs> or I could, you know, like be the whole concept of uh, trolling, right? And subtweeting. And I'm going to make a statement I haven't heard anyone else make. And, Brad, you can tell me if you have. 
I think it's very clear, though I'm not saying I'm sure, that Golden State would have lost that game five if Durant didn't play 12 minutes. What do you think? I think a very fair assessment. I, I mean, you're talking about See, a guy. I mean, do you feel strongly that? Very strongly about that. I mean, here's Kevin Durant gets 11 points in 12 minutes. Who else on that roster can get you that kind of production in such a short period of time? And then you go through the plus minus for full game for each player. Kevin Durant's sitting there at plus six. And for both teams, he has the highest plus minus rating of anybody. I don't think Golden State wins that game without him. They won by one point, RJ. It's not like they won by five or six. I think it's, a, I think it's well over 80% if we had a simulation that they don't win that game if you have Durant not play. Now, if Golden State wins two more games and the odds are you know, a little better, I guess, than 25%, the case could be made that Kevin Durant came off his sick bed, played a game in which he was so hurt that he literally lost a season over it by blowing out his Achilles. Is that how you say it? Achilles. All right. Yeah. And <laughs> again, I you might want a refund from that. Yeah. Later. Man. Damn. <laughs> Bernie can rest. As long as we're talking yeah. about Durant, Bernie can rest on his weekend gig, <laughs> is the idea that he, and again, I think this is kind of dramatizing it, but I think it's fair. Durant did play when there was a real risk of getting re-injured. They didn't think he would, but it, there was certainly an increased risk. He played exceptionally well, far less than 100%. And the difference between that and him not playing is what allowed them to win game five. If you lose game five, you're out. It's over. Bye bye. And the fact of the matter is, they won. If they win six and seven, it will be like Kevin Durant's hero level effort, balls, grit, whatever you want to call it, is why Golden State won a third straight title. And I think it'd be legitimate. If he would have stayed on the bench or stayed not playing, they probably don't win. If they win, he'll be the difference. Imagine playing one quarter in an entire series and being able to say, you you know, and he won't say it, but that's going to be the PR messaging, that your sacrifice, it's almost like giving your kidney up to the person who ends up going back in the time machine and shooting Hitler kind of thing. It's like, yeah, you're only one piece of a chain of events, but if it weren't for that piece, it wouldn't happen, right? Yeah. He set up. To- uh, no, hold on. We got to let that breathe a little bit. How do you come up with that? Let your kidney breathe so you can go back in time and I, I don't know where you come up. You know, with it's, it's one off of the cuff. It, it's a little bit of playing on <laughs> off a trope. No, is there is the old if you went back in time and Hitler was in his crib, what would you do? Because it's the whole kind of Nietzsche, Superman, do you take the law in your own hands? Dostoevsky, Raskolnikov. I've read a few books back in college. That dealt with these issues because I probably had a Superman complex myself. So, and it's an interesting concept. If you're better, and again, not I grew up from that. Not that I don't think I do things well, but you know, we're all human, or at least I know I'm human. I've had many human moments. Is a lot of people though? You know, we talked about Elon Musk, and we won't get back into that. But you know, should Elon? You could make it's so funny because in one way we're getting so into everyone's the same. And to me, like if everyone's the same, 
Why work hard? Right? So to me, that was always a problem with socialism. I'm not talking about socialism as in social security socialism. I mean, you know, from the book, Karl Marx, the theory is what motivates human activity. You are, Brad, one of the hardest workers I've seen in this industry, if not right at the top of the list. If you were going to get the same check no matter what, even though you have a lot of pride in your work, would you work as hard? <laughs> I wouldn't. I don't think many people would. And if they did, it wouldn't be for too long. Yeah. So I guess I, I want everyone to have the same opportunity. And I think, it's, I, I think it's more complicated, to be honest, than just saying everyone has the same laws. It's like, I, you know, I mean, think about it. Some kid grew, you know, like my goal, it's kind of funny. I've never talked about this. So I'll say it quick and move on. But it's probably the one time I would. You know, it's fun to look back and, you know, as the New York Times magazine reported and their cover story that I was involved in a few years ago is, you know, as they verified, I got into Harvard Law School and I'm proud of that. I didn't go. I went, you know, I graduated from Ohio State and said, you know, my mom wants me to be a lawyer, but, I, you know, and I was into it, the idea of it. But if I had gotten into Yale, I would have went. And I didn't get into Yale. And at the time, Harvard took 450 students for the law school per year. And Yale only took like 175. So it was like only about a third, a little bit more. But the thing that was cool about Yale was, and I don't know if it's still like this. So this would have been 92, I guess, is you took one year. So law school is three years. You take one year law classes and you had two years you could take anything you wanted. It was like no requirement. Oh, wow. And it was all pass-fail. So I'm figuring I'm going to get the most prestigious law degree. And I, I think because of the, the few people they take, that's the case. At Harvard, it's three years of, you know, at least again, back in the day, three years of hardcore corporate law. You know, it's like I wasn't up for that. But two years taking philosophy classes or whatever and getting a Yale Law degree would have been a deal I signed up for. And I really wanted that. It was like weird that I said no to some would say almost or equally a good school when I really cared about the Yale. And probably, you know what's funny? It's not if I would have gotten the Yale law degree, I wouldn't have come to Vegas because I'm certainly I'm, I wouldn't have done this because you would have got it would have been so many opportunities. Why would I come out here with no, you know, I came out here no nobody. It was me and a couple buddies. Tom was one of them. And, but it, it was even more than that. If I didn't care about Yale, I would have went to some grad school because literally NYU, which I've always loved New York, offered me a full ride, meaning I wasn't going to pay a dollar to go hang out in Manhattan, right? I would have done that 99 out of 100 times. I didn't because I was so mad at the system that I didn't get into Yale, which sounds goofy because you're saying, oh, Harvard wasn't good enough. But it's not, it's not what I wanted, right? I wanted one thing, and obviously I wanted something that was tough. But, you know, it, to me, what was so demoralizing, it really was. It took me like a year to get over it. And, I, you know, you would say we're still talking about it. Well, this is the first time I've talked about it, even in private, for, for probably 10 years. But I got... An A minus, you know, Ohio State has minuses, right? I got an A minus 
my third quarter. They're on quarters, or they were. And I got two A minuses my last quarter. So literally, so it's four years times three. So 12 quarters. My first 11 quarters, I got one A minus. So I had like a 399. And I scored at the time in the 99th percentile on the LSAT. So to me, if you say, here's your goal, young man, I was 20 years, you know, 20 years old or whatever. And it's like, okay, I'm going to be almost perfect. Like literally if I was a deity, if I was a, like literally Zeus, I would get always, I'm going to have one A minus, you know, up until the last quarter and then two A minus. Okay. Which Yale had already made their decision, so it wasn't even a it was a moot point, right? Because they decided had it. Obviously, you know, getting into school, you know, usually what in you know February or so, yeah, yeah, January, right. February. So it didn't matter, and I, you know, you could say I slept off. Is get almost always at a pretty good school. I mean, high state's not Ivy League, but and get in the 99th percentile in the LSAT, which means pretty much. It's hard to tell anyone, you know, I, I had a 170 out of 180, if I recall. And I know they've rescaled the test now. Like they have most of these. Everything's gotten easier. <laughs> Is uh, those damn curves. Like what more can you do, right? Like if you would have told me as a freshman first day and say, do your very best and, and you will achieve what you want to achieve. Well, if you're almost perfect in both the LSAT and the grades, you're supposed to get into where you want to go. And when I didn't, it, it wasn't so much I was thinking, you know, oh, that person got in and I didn't. It was just this system's corrupt. It just felt because I was always super skeptical of the system as a kid. I mean, most, you know, preco- precocious kids are skeptical of the system. Because yep. let's be honest, high schools are so hypocritical. Oh, my God. I mean, it's not just the students. It's more the the freaking, you know, instru- or teachers and administrators. Totally agree. I, I mean, if there's anything to sour you on authority, it's going to be a typical Midwestern high school like we went to. Oh, yeah. Because <laughs> there's a lot of people <laughs> with very little common sense making a lot of big decisions. Yep. The gym teacher's always banging you know, uh, one of the, the or at least trying. You know, well, no, well, yeah, but yeah. one of the juniors or seniors. Yeah. I mean, it's like you know, you watch Freaks and Geeks. It's a pretty good, I think, representation of what I grew up in. So I, w- but then I went to Ohio State. And I said, "This is different. This is new. This is, you know, big." And it, you know, it's big. I just said, "F all this stuff," and I probably, if I would have, you know, not even because if I went to law school, I wouldn't have became a, a gambling guy. It was the fact that I became so sour on anything corporate. I could have went to hedge funds. I could have got my MBA. I said, you know, I moved out here like, you know, with 3000 bucks and a couple of buddies. That's all I had. And it's kind of interesting. I mean, in hindsight, I never could. I don't think I could possibly be having more fun. I mean, I certainly wouldn't be as well known. I don't care what kind of, you know, unless you're Johnny Cog. I mean, there's a couple you know, lawyers in the country that are well-known and then everyone else is respect, you know, if you're, you're good, you're respected in your niche. And I get to do what I, you know, I'm the boss, you know, so in hindsight for me to bitch and I'm not would be absurd, but it is interesting how one thing can, can, you know, it's like if you meet, you know, like think about how you met your partner. Let's say you're in a long-term relationship 
oftentimes it's random. It's literally if I didn't go to that bar that night, you know, and, and I'm just making up a hypothetical here, you know, but how many people, you know, sometimes they knew them and like you're working with them. So you're going to, you know, but I, my, my gut is half the people have partners that they met through some serendipity that literally if it didn't happen, they probably would have never spoken to forget getting married. They would have never spoken to him. Right. Yep. Think about the stories, you know, and I guess it's the same thing with this. If I didn't care about Yale, and who knows why I even cared? I've read it in a book. If I didn't read that book that day, I probably would have never applied to Yale. I mean, like, in hindsight, I should have looked at Stanford because, you know, with Silicon Valley starting to boom, you know, in 92, or at least it was, you know, the sniffing of the VC market. You know, you go get your Stanford law degree, you're going to do great. I didn't even apply to Stanford. So... I wasn't, it wasn't some thoughtful plan. It was random in a way. And here we are. And some people are saying, you know, it's worth it, RJ, except for that story. And others are saying, you know, that's why when Brad and Fez do it, there's great info, but there's not this. So (laughs) hopefully it's okay. Daryl, you're a pretty good judge. What'd you think? I think you guys are doing a pretty good job. I appreciate it. Brad, you're killing it. Thank you. Last 15 minutes or so, I think. Really? I'm joking. Yeah, I was going to say. <laughs> no, it was just like, I just like poured my heart out and Daryl was like, you guys are killing it. Come on, Daryl. I mean, did you want a soliloquy or something right then? Yes. Oh, man. We'll wait. Oh, no. Come on, please don't put me on the <laughs> No, spot no, right I'm there. teasing. I'm I was teasing. eating my rice. I'm actually. teasing. No, I, I got a shooter. <laughs> no, I appreciate it. It makes me want to open up a little more. To be honest with you, if it's what you want to talk about, it's a hell of an opportunity. I mean, what's great is we got the trust, meaning there's stories that we start, and this isn't one of them because we're going into the games, that if they didn't try, if our listeners didn't trust us, they'd be like, I don't want to hear this. I'm going to the next podcast or I'm going forward. But over time, if you're still listening, you know, I guess that's the point. Be true to what you do, and, and, and the people listening are going to respect it. And li- I get people all the time, you're too hard on Faz. It's like, well, you live with him. Now, I'm optimistic because he's been uh, doing so much better with Daryl. Just having another voice, I think, has helped so much for him. And he's been killing it. And when he comes back, I, I think he'll continue. But we do what we do. It's not some big surprise. It's not like we're usually going, the line is 6.8, or my line is 6.8, excuse me, and the market's 7. So lean <laughs> to the dog. And then it's like, but I bet it at 19. At <laughs> some faraway place. It was up for a minute. You know, it's like, how like, you know, if we did that, then you'd expect that. So I think we stay on brand. But you're right. Brad, when you open up, people love it because you usually don't. I'm not saying try to open up an abnormal amount. I'm saying you've got people that want to hear about it. That's why they're listening. And if they wanted just a straight gambling pod, there's others out there. Now, you're right. If you take out the non-gambling stuff, we still have the best gambling pod. So, you know, those guys forward. So when you start telling your story about unrequited love, (laughs) <laughs> or whatever, you know, is, is, is us. Most people will listen and some will fast forward. Right? That's fair. All right. 
what do we need to wrap up with Durant? So we we talked about him having, I think, the chance to be the difference maker and be a big deal to his brand. Let's talk about the game itself. You did, and I'm being serious, some outstanding analysis. Because when you guys come in with the three-pointer crap, <laughs> it's usually they should have made eight, they only made seven, they won by two. It's like, geez, I get it if everything went exactly that way, but this is nothing like that. Yeah, so we'll start off, and we're talking Game 5 specifically here. And I think if we were doing this show a year ago, I'd have said, RJ, look, three-point. Uh, Golden State made 20, Toronto made eight. That's the biggest difference in the game. And it is a big difference. Let me do quantify. That 12 uh, more three-pointers by the Warriors, second biggest three-point differential in the history of the NBA Finals. So large there. But let's look statistically what the teams should have made in like a normal situation here. Golden State, a slightly better three-point shooting team than Toronto. Average during the season, about 13 made. Toronto's like 12, 12 and a half. And similar in the postseason, Golden State slightly better. And I thought you did an excellent job with this, RJ. If we just took, and especially with Durant, Durant getting hurt here, you know, Golden State, if they normally make right around 35% threes, and they attempted 42, it mainly would have said, hey, they made about five more threes than average. So five plus the times three, that's 15. So Golden State was plus 13 or plus 15 in that area. Toronto, only shot 8 out of 32. If we take their normal average, Toronto was minus 9. 15 plus 9, 24-point difference in a one-point game. That sounds pretty pretty important, RJ. Absolutely. And it goes to show you, <laughs> I can't have physics. You were getting the physics territory with all the math, which was great. I thought it was great because... It's, it didn't require everything being the same except you swing six points because it's not going to be. Yeah. When it's 24 like that. And a one-point game. Yeah. But that's how you come back from 3-1. Punch someone in the junk. Maybe don't do that. <laughs> get punched. Or you get lucky. And that's why an NBA seven-game series, and this is a great segue, I think, Toronto wasn't that big of a dog. In this series. I mean, they were a dog. But this is amazing. If you stack up what kind of upset this would be relative to other upsets. And we've said this for years. In the NBA, the seven games, the better team wins and advances in the playoffs more than any other playoffs. Forget the one and dones, as we say. Other seven games, baseball and NHL. And there's so much more luck, just simply. Yep. But this really backs that up. So we're going back 35 years here to the mid-80s. And Toronto, coming into the series, was plus 220. I mean, we see plus 220 underdogs win all the time in baseball and whatnot, RJ. And yet, if Toronto pulls this off as a plus 220 dog, they would be the second biggest underdog to win a series in the last 35 years. Let's be specific. This would be in the finals. In the finals, yes. Yeah. So 35 times, there's always been an underdog. And what's so like eight? It's like at twenty-seven and yeah, eight twenty-seven and eight. The favorite has advanced and won the finals. Not advanced, won the finals twenty-seven out of the thirty-five years. So as we said, and we and Brad's pulled out some good numbers here. I hope that Fezzik music's not distracting you. 
You know, I'll give you credit. <laughs> when Fezzik's going, you blare it. But he still goes. I mean, it doesn't affect him. It oh, does affect it's me It's funny because his <laughs> voice and the jazz goes together. Like yeah. When he gets worked up, he'll yeah. go high. and yeah. He's he got to get that point. <laughs> so he just keeps rolling. Chocolate. Vanilla. <laughs> Chocolate. No. All right. It's, it's great. The idea this would be the second biggest upset, the better team wins. Is Toronto the better team? Hmm. Without Durant, they might be. Yeah, I agree. Kawhi's had, and I mean, this is a stat actually, actually Daryl uncovered. If Kawhi scores 50 points, that would assume two games. Yep. And then he'd have to be a favor, right? If I give you, an, if I said, bet's only on if it's game seven, goes, Kawhi has to play both, and then there's a bet. Would you bet over 50? You'd have to, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Is it 25? Is, yeah. Okay. He'll be the, Biggest score in any postseason in NBA history. Wow. Now, a few more games, you know, just based on seven games, you know, the, where some of the better teams, Michael, I think, is the guy currently, and, uh, you know, a lot of sweeps with my, you know, not always, but less games. But still, that's an all-time series. All right. Let's talk about, so we talked about the game. Was there anything else in the game? Sloppy. I mean, I think, obviously, the timeout's been discussed ad nauseum. Yeah. I, DeMarcus Cousins having a big performance was key, just like the other game that Golden State's won in the series, game two. It just coincides. DeMarcus Cousins' two best games in the series are the two games that the Golden State Warriors are won. Watching that game specifically after Kevin Durant went out, I don't think Golden State wins that without DeMarcus Cousins. No, I, I mean, you're right. And also... I've been of two minds with Cousins. One, I think they had a good lottery ticket with him, but they didn't need to hit the lottery. It's almost like you're trying to win the World Series of Poker. You need $3,000, but you get all in where you're going to win 10000 And yeah, your positive EVs more, but you don't need the money. Meaning if they would have got two guys, let's say, I don't know the contract details. I know Cousins was fairly cheap. Yeah. But even if they got one guy that was going to be rock solid instead of like he could make us one of the best teams ever or he could be worthless, he wasn't that far from being worthless, meaning that injury was a little worse this year. And they didn't need it. It's almost like they were showboating a little bit where if they spent that money on someone rock solid, that bench is better the whole playoffs. But now he shows up and is a difference maker in this game. And luckily, I didn't tell, but now I'm telling it even after the fact. I was ready to start preaching. Golden State made a mistake going for the better EV because they didn't, they didn't define what the goal of the game was. In this case, I thought improving the team a little bit. That team didn't need improved a lot in the offseason. I agree. But maybe they were thinking next level, saying if one of our main guys go down, Cousins potentially could be the number three. Now, he hasn't been that. And, and hold on, let's give you also some credit, and this is prior to the series. You said, would you be surprised if it's one game in the series and it's DeMarcus Cousins getting you that key 12, no, right. 14 points? Fess says he that. was meaningless, and I said, this guy's yeah. too good. He's not going to have that eight-point spurt at some point. Yeah. So, all right, let's look ahead. Line is two and a half. Game goes Thursday night, so everyone's going to have a chance. Remember, subscribe to the pod and you get it immediately, and it's usually out early, early Thursday. You've got. Let's. I'm just going to let you with some theme music. 
I'm going to let you run through some of these trends. All right, so I got three for you guys here. And this is a best of seven series. We'll just start it off with how the teams do up 3-2 in the series. Teams up 3-2 in the series go on to win this series. This is all-time NBA. 84% of the time, teams up 3-2 go on to win the series. That's a 300-plus game sample size. Here's some ones that I were shocking to me. Teams up. So, guys, you got to know this. <laughs> what you just saw was like two years of work come alive. I mean, that was a perfect presentation. It was. The way you said 300 or so, so you didn't get into the details. You led with the lead. Brad Powers, everybody. Not without the help of RJ Bell. <laughs> so here's some shocking stats. Teams up 3-2 in the series. They're on the road in game six. And you got to think, hey, if there's going to be a time maybe you take a breath, all right, we, at least we got Game 7 back at home. We're up 3-2 in the series. I would think it'd be a positive for the home team down 3-2 back against the wall. Uh-uh, that's not the case. This goes back the last 16 years. The team up 3-2 in the series on the road, Game 6, wins about 61% of the time. More important for our purposes, covers 61% of the time. Sample size, 90 games, 61% against the spread. And kind of narrowing it down even one slightly further, you're thinking, hey, team's up 3-2 in the series on the road in game six, but just suffered a loss. Maybe it's demoralizing. Hey, we could have clinched this series, and now we got to go on the road in game six. Those teams up 3-2 after a loss, 10-3 and straight up, 10-3 and against the spread last 16 years. <laughs> is that it? That's all I got. Good stuff. I could say Achilles again. N- well, we've had enough laughs. Yeah. Now, <laughs> what I'll say is I think that last tightener, or not even a tightener, just a more specific view was right on. Because the psychology to me, and this is my last point about the NBA right now, or for this podcast, is the idea that the toughest game for Golden State was going to be game five. They're not supposed to be favored. I'm not saying all I'm saying is it's relative. The three games, obviously, if you think about it, Golden State at home is going to be easier. Right? Yep. No, now it's game seven. Now you could rightly say without they did have Durant for 12 minutes. You think about the pressure that's going to be on Toronto. It's not only you're now in, you know, the money zone, you're in, you know, the Ric Flair zone. To be the man, you gotta beat the man. It's gonna be <laughs> mono e mono. I don't think 2001 A Space Odyssey music's gonna come <laughs> like it did for Flair. But he was old school. With it. It's funny because there was few, no one had music, but now in hindsight, his theme wasn't all that great. Oh, yeah, I mean, I agree. you know, he had the robe. It was yeah, all I think a bit the much. robe and the women around him. Yeah, of, it was all. It, it worked for me. I didn't, as a kid, I didn't understand what was going on. Let's just say that I was confused. <laughs> I just was drawn to it, like a few other things. The fact is, though, <laughs> is if you look, I think Toronto not only would have, oh my gosh, we're playing Golden State in a game seven, but they're going to feel like they were up six with three minutes and change left. Mm. That was their title. And just even San Antonio, when they felt like in that game six against Miami, Kawhi missed a free or two free throws, if I recall, they were like 95% to win. They lost. It was tough to come back the next game. You felt like you lost it. Yep. 
Would Toronto not have any of that? Oh, they of course they would, RJ. We even saw Golden State. The Golden State had that in Game 7 at home against Cleveland. And we know, we know Kawhi is cold-blooded. I mean, he's, he's, got, he's got alligator blood. And, I mean, and, and I mean very, and I'm not saying that sarcastically. I mean, like, I'm, I'm very impressed with Kawhi's, what he's become and, and how he's impervious, it seems, to so much the humans <laughs> are affected by. Very aggressive. <laughs> but I don't think the rest of the players are. Oh, last thing, you didn't get a chance to rant on this on the radio show. You actually thought Kawhi's culpable for not taking that last shot. Yeah, it, or have you backed away from that? No, I mean, I'm going to back away a little bit from the last shot, but I rewatched that full minute. So this is going to be the last three possessions for Toronto. And, and I do have a problem because the first two possessions of the final minute, it's Kyle Lowry bringing the ball up the floor. He's driving or he's passing off the mark, uh, Gasol. And, and in the final possession, I thought there was at least a brief second or two where Kawhi could have just drove to the lane and, and it's either make the shot, maybe get fouled. Didn't do so. A little bit passive. Yeah, I do have a problem, especially considering how dominant he was in that two-minute stretch with about five to three minutes left in the game. I mean, that was as good as maybe Michael in that those final moments of Game 6 and 98, those two but minutes. But he finished the job. Yeah, but he did finish the job. Grab this dude by his heels, turn him upside down, and shake all the money out of his pockets that he owed these people. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> I'm not sure how it, I'm not sure how it connects, but I just saw it and I said I got to play it. Yeah, I haven't heard I that mean, one. I mean, that was all the Mr. T draws. <laughs> I'm still trying to find a good one where he says, "I don't want to hear that jibber jabber," because that's what he calls talk and jibber jabber. And then at one point he goes, "You're doing a lot of jibbering, and I'm going to do a lot and jabbering, but I'm going to do a lot of hammering." <laughs> <laughs> he rhymed jabbering and hammering. <laughs> Listen, it worked for him. Tell you this, you want to see something with Mr. T? Look up Howard Stern, Mr. T. I and mean, this is back in 90, I think 96, 97. Mr. T talks about killing someone that messed with his mom. He didn't say it. And let me just say, this is my faulty, perhaps, recollection. What I recall is he was saying something about, you know, where I grew up, you don't mess with family, blah, blah, blah. And he goes, and Howard, you know, who back then was, a, you know, was a more of a shock jock than he is now, I think, it's fair to say. He was kind of like teasing him a little bit. He goes, oh, what would you do if I, you know, messed with your mom or something? And Mr. T, like, he is almost like Bernie's eyes changed. And he goes, and he's still telling a story about how someone messed with his mom. He goes, and you won't see him around anymore. It was like kind of the godfather with Polly, but he was serious as a heart attack that that guy's gone. Oh, wow. Yeah. And it was like Howard Howard got the point and like changed his tune <laughs> really quick. So, you know, Mr. T was obviously a guy that didn't grow up with a lot of privilege. And we know his name. This day. I mean, when's the last time Mr. T was relevant? How great is a brand? You know, think of Jimmy the Greek, right? Is I'd have to get lucky 15 times from here that, you know, 20, 30 years from now, they're going to be saying, you know, oh, that RJ. No. Jimmy the Greek is is like if you said who's the most famous sports batter, even though he's been dead for twenty years, it'd be Jimmy the Greek. Yeah. 
So there's just guys like that that have such good, is it the name? I think it's a big part of it. You know, but Mr. T, it wasn't just the name. Because if anything, Mr. T is weird, but that could be good or bad. Yeah. Like, do we even know what T stands for? No. It was also a look. I just, man, had the That's what I'm saying. He had it all. Yeah. And he made a lot of money. I mean, he, he I, you know, from what I see, he's doing fine. This is R.J. Bell's Dream Preview. Now back to R.J. Bell's Dream Preview. All right. What do we got left? We got, I mean, it's all good stuff from here. We got the information you've never seen on the hard knocks. Let's just go to that. I love it. And this is Mackie uh, getting this done. First and foremost, if you think hard knocks, at least I do, I, I think of a negative impact on a team. You don't want to be on hard knocks. You don't want all that attention. And, and here was some of the data, and this is going back to the first hard knocks season back in 2001 with the Ravens. Uh, you know what? It wasn't as negative as what I anticipated. So there's been, you know, the average season win total for these teams right around eight. How do they do in the season? Seven and a half. All right, down slightly. And teams went under their season win total uh, seven of the 13 years you had one push. Here's what RJ teased that that really was stunning to me. If it's going to be negative for that team to be on hard knocks, wouldn't it immediately show up early on in the season? You just had TV cameras following you around around for several weeks, disrupting your training camp. The theory is it's drawing attention, focus away during the camp, which is going to have bigger effects. It's going to have bigger effects early in the season and I think more importantly is the public perception. They know the players. Now they know the name. I mean, you can't tell me if we just did a study on the bet splits early in the year, I would bet the biggest bet of the year that the Hard Knocks team got a disproportionate number of bets. Meaning if you would project based on that team, you know, because if you play the Patriots, maybe getting 40% of the bets for a team like the Browns would have been, Big. Yeah. If you would make a fair and honest guess of what the bet splits would have been, I'd make a gigantic bet that more people were betting the Hard Knocks team because they became aware of them. It's yeah. like in the Olympics. When you figure out the, about the guy in the loser or whatever, you care. You care. You start cheering for him. Hey, I saw this guy. Some people even cry. <laughs> I am not. Have cry- you cried over the Olympics? No. You uh, sure? Hold on. I got to think. In 72, when we got to silver? 72. Are you. <laughs> Jesus. The Russian, the Ruskies. I was, I wasn't even a, a gleam in my. You know, those eye. silver medals are still in a, a safe at the Olympic headquarters. Yeah, they left them. I, I like that. So. I do too. You know, that'd be a good way to, if you had like fifty people for a job, you ask that question and just everyone that said no, I w- I'd want my medal. You just say thank you for your time. I like that. That's a good one. Darryl, that is. We're gonna do a retroactive job interview. <laughs> hey man, I'm out here now. Don't do it. <laughs> Come on now. <laughs> but what's your honest answer? I don't have one. I, I plead the fifth. <laughs> <laughs> I'd have left them. Yeah, but maybe that's that's interesting because you could make the case that's us thinking the gold should have been ours, but because you know it should have been. Yeah. yeah. Interesting. All right. 
teams one through weeks one through four. Yeah, so, so it's a record. Yeah, 27, 21, and two against the spread. Now listen, small sample. Yeah, it's going to be. But I tell you this: if someone gave me even money, you know, before we did the research, yeah, I would have bet a big bet that it would have been below five hundred, or let's say five hundred to tie. I would have made a big bet on the under. Totally agree with that. Yeah. But actually, if you go the whole season, it is negative, right? Yeah, slightly negative. But, so, but it seems to not have just an Just by like three games. And we're talking 220-some games. Yeah, so really, when you're up to 220 games and it's right down the middle, you can feel pretty good there's no real effect. And the time you think there'd be effect would be early. It's actually the other way in the smaller sample. So I think it's fair to say. Now, I think you could go team by team, though. Yeah. Like if somehow Belichick had hard knocks, it wouldn't hurt him. That'd be interesting. Let's go through quickly and do this ad hoc. Who's the worst coaches? So how many teams do we have? We have a total. 13. All right. So let's pick this uh, six worst coaches. Just off the cuff. Just go. Dirk Cutter. I think right. with, just mark, put a mark beside yep. it. All right, go, go. Just keep going. It's tough remembering like, who was coaching. Let me think. Cowboys was terrible. Speak out loud. It's, yeah, it's not Dallas Cowboys 02. I think that's like Dave Campo. Yeah, so, so go he, with that. He goes with that. Uh, look, in 2012, Miami Dolphins was probably. Were the Bengals ever coached? Or in 2013. There? Yeah, just throw the Bengals in. They're in there twice. Throw them twice. You don't like Marvin Lewis. Even oh, God. Though I, <laughs> no, I like him as a Steeler fan. Yeah. Uh, you know, the Rams, Jeff Fisher in 16. No, Je- that's, that's now, hindsight stuff. All there. right. Then I mean, we, definitely, Jeff- we have to use Hugh Jackson. From yeah, last go ahead. Year. All right, I got six of them. All right, so add up real quick the first four weeks for them. When I, You know, this is a good time. So what do we got left? We got left. I mean, it's just URCC preview and best bets, right? Yep. I mean, this is like, and you're going to find out, oh, this is teasing across the commercial. This is what they teach you in radio school. I never went. Yale said no, so no more school for me. Commercial break, and then all the action to finish. Okay, we got our old friend. True car, but first something new and different. Now, if I seem to be reading this stiff, it's a coincidence. Hey, everybody. You have to check out this amazing new true crime podcast. It's called 22 Hours, an American Nightmare. It's about a murder that took place in Washington, D.C. A family and their housekeeper were held hostage for 19 hours before being killed when the murderer set their mansion on fire. You'll be shocked by what they went through during those 19 hours. And you won't believe how they found the guy. We won't ruin the ending. But all I'll say is pizza crust. I'm telling you, it was awesome. Podcast One teamed up with award-winning journalists from New Giant WTOP to put the story together. And the podcast is great. Download 22 Hours in American Nightmare now on Apple Podcasts and Podcast One. New episodes every Monday. <laughs> oh, we love True Car. They've been with us for a long time. That didn't seem any different than normal, did it, Brian? No, not at all. 60 seconds. That's exactly how long this commercial lasts. You know what else you can do in about a minute? You could deadpan read 
a read you didn't want to do, or you could get a cash offer with your car, True Car. That's right. In the amount of time it takes to floss your teeth, pet your dog, do a few sit-ups, Brad to shed a tear, or just listen to my voice, you can get a True Cash offer. Very emotional. Best of all, you can do it from your smartphone or your home. Just go to True Car and simply enter your license plate number and watch how your car's details pop up. Answer a few questions. You'll get an accurate True Cash offer from a local True Car certified dealer. It's that easy. After that, you can bring your car in. They'll check it out with you together. You can ask questions and get the answers you need so there's no surprises. Then simply leave with your check or trade in your car for a new ride. So when you're ready to experience a better way to sell or trade in your car, check out True Car today. All right, Brad. We just did it off the cuff. I swear, no prep, obviously. How'd those six coaches do? 12, 11, and 1. Huh? Yeah. I give up. Yeah, I do too. We can keep doing random stuff till we find something. Yeah. <laughs> so, unless someone can make the case and we'll listen, tweet, tweet me. And if you got something interesting, we'll look at it. His Twitter handle is at RJ in Vegas. But no hard knocks effect. SEC time. So, Brad. Oh, what? <laughs> oh, jeez. <So>, <laughs> I like it. So, Brad. No, we won't for SEC. It's, it's too good. You're going to be doing this in a systematic way. When is it systemic and when is it systematic? I don't know. I'll say systematic this time. A structured way with a certain methodology that only Brad Powers could do. <laughs> Though he stole it from... Who'd you steal this from? This meth? <laughs> His voice goes, This meth? I don't know. I wrote it down. Jeez. That's I'm funny, joking. though. You did. I did, though. <laughs> well, I know this industry. All right. So <laughs> what, what, what we're going to do is a time-tested formula that no one has a copyright on because it's fair use, they call it. I didn't go to law school, though. Jeez. <laughs> oh, That's pretty good. Is... You're going to have four categories for each team plus, or for each conference plus a best bet, right? Yeah, just looking at favorites, contenders, teams I'm looking to buy, teams I'm looking to sell. So favorites mean who's favorite. Contenders mean who's in the second tier. Yep. So it's saying we're going to spend time on each of the better teams, really. Exactly. And then you're going to say buy, sell is really saying we're going to track this. Assume your bet. Now, how do you get at the – well, for each of these buy, sell, I think you should give us – it's more season win total. Here's where I'm looking to okay, buy it. Okay, because you're sure that you don't want to give yourself the chance to say no to win the conference or I think more likely yes to win the conference. Shouldn't you give yourself a chance to be positive on them in many different ways? That's true. Right? Why don't we just yeah. assume, hey, you're positive on this team, but as soon as the lines are out, and right now the season wins are, right? But are the other... Yeah, they're, they're not out really. Okay, so this yeah. is even better. Yep. As soon as they come out... We'll double back through. Exactly. But if right now you feel like that you wouldn't play season wins because you're down on the rest of the conference, let's say, and you're up on this team, just say it now. Hey, this is one I'll likely be looking to play to win the conference. Okay. All right, go. So we've added something new. Yeah, I like that. Uh, I mean, still the favorites. I mean, we're not going to be breaking news here. I mean, you start with the Crimson Tide of Alabama. A couple of key stats here. I know you like this one, RJ. Alabama 
has now been favored in 126 of their last 127 games. And they'll be favored Alabama this year in all 12 of their regular season games. In, in fact, there's a game of the year thing you can bet here in Vegas. Those are the biggest games. The uh, Auburn, Alabama, Alabama, LSU. So real quick, you heard that taken, right? Yeah, I did. That's going to be code. I mean, this, I guess we don't add it, so people are going to hear this. When you hear that, that means you wrap up the the topic. Around. And then, because I'm thinking, I have to kind of produce, uh, again, uh, Daryl does a great job, and I say this sincerely, as a, a non-sports batting producer, but as a sports batting guy, I got to produce that part of it. But if I say, Brad, hurry this up, everyone's like, RJ, you're being too mean. So instead, <laughs> is that going to work? Yeah, I got it, RJ. But looking at Alabama for this year, you know, this is probably the first time in a long time with Alabama. There's probably more question marks than answers, at least nationally. Why? Well, Alabama just lost, uh, you know, the national title game by four touchdowns. Alabama had not lost a single game by more than 14 in Nick Saban's entire tenure, 166 games. And they just got beat by four touchdowns. I'm not as worried, though. I still have Alabama. I mean, this was a team that, that we felt like was maybe the best team in history. I agree. That's why I, even... So one game is going to be hard. Uh, I'm seeing an overreaction to that one game. Yeah. You can actually bet on a hypothetical. If Alabama plays Clemson for the national title, Clemson right now is a favorite. You can bet this in Vegas at the Golden Nugget but right he, now. Who do you have higher in your power? I right have now? Alabama one point better than Clemson. So by the way, you just put this out. So it's at Brad Powers 7, another mystery, at Brad Powers 7. And you've got... All 100 in how many? 30. Now, listen, I was concerned. And actually, I just replied to you on Twitter, which <laughs> not many people would see. And we got so many likes from it. Listen, in this day and age, everyone, it's the cell phones. It's instant gratification. It's, you know, you love Pornhub. You've talked about. Oh, jeez. Well, right? That's fair enough. All right. And <laughs> single man. Yeah. <laughs> to me... Even chess. I mean, if you want to think about like a challenge of the intellect that should have timeless rules, used to be you had to win six games in the the world championship, or it was best of twenty four champion retains. Now it's down to best of twelve. Like, and now they're talking about they're they're going to shorten the time. But you still kept, you still kept the hundredth of a point. I did. I mean, there was speculation. A lot of hope, quite frankly, around the industry. Yours are as respected, I think, in my opinion, the best power ratings from the Vegas perspective out there. I read nine newspapers a day. But there was something about the hundredth of a point <laughs> that is both comforting and disconcerting. <laughs> think about it. It's comforting that this guy has the ego... Welcome to Mirage, Mr. Papa Giorgio. It's almost like Brad Powers as a handicapper in a nutshell. The fact that you freaking have, like, what is Alabama ranked? Yeah, their power rating, yeah. 99.78. <laughs> <laughs> I've never done that on air. Yeah. That was hilarious. <laughs> I mean, but the fact that you have the audacity to think that you can, we were talking about <laughs> Cali, that you can estimate to the hundredth of a freaking point. 
On one hand, it's why you're Brad Powers. And on the other hand, it's why you're Brad Powers. That's fair enough. <laughs> That's all we got to say. I love it. That can be a drop. <laughs> I like that. Moving forward. I still have Alabama number one. The other talking point mainly about Alabama, and I'll go longer because it is the Crimson Tide a little bit here. Hold on, though. Colin said that he thought if he had to list the quarterbacks on the planet that had special physical skills. Did you hear this? I did not. He had, I think it was Andrew Luck and a couple other NFL quarterbacks, but it was like less than three, and then he had the Clemson quarterback. Trevor Lawrence? Huh. So the question is, is this guy, let's just compare him to Tua. Is he clearly better than Tua? I don't think so. I I would take him over Tua right now, but... I don't think he's clearly better than Tua. Okay. Would you take him for this season? I'm not talking about career because obviously the physical skill. I would take Trevor Lawrence for this season over Tua. Okay. Heisman market has him almost dead heat both. So let me ask you a question. Yeah. How was Clemson when they were struggling at quarterback last year? If, if, if everyone thought that – because Colin was talking about how literally it was in a high school camp he saw this kid and he was just another level. Once Clemson, Clemson had him, how could Clemson be so undervalued? It would seem offer so much value because they had quarterback problems. I mean, I know there's uncertainty, but if this was one of the all-time great physical tool kids, how often do they fail at the college level? They don't. Cause, I so mean, I'm confused. Like, just the market wasn't aware of him? They weren't sure that he was going to, you know, be a, a factor in his fresh, true freshman season. But guys like John Elway, like Andrew Luck, are, right? They are. but Especially it, in the modern era. Yeah, Davo Sweeney's a player's coach, and he's been so loyal to his guys, this program. But it was, it was, the problem wasn't that the quarterback that they had wasn't going to get benched. The problem was it seemed that, it, it, that, that once this guy got hurt is when the market took a dip. And you were saying, well, this guy's well-regarded. I mean, we could go back and get – I mean – yeah. It, you weren't saying this guy's better for a couple of weeks. Agree. But it seems like now in hindsight, if the physical tools were once a you know a decade like Colin saying, wouldn't we have been more or you're questioning that? Yeah, I'm, well, I think I was questioning this rookie year cuz I watched the spring game last year for Clemson. He came in Trevor Lawrence, obviously number 1 player in the country coming out. 6-5, but he was like 185 pounds, RJ, in that spring game. I'm like if he's going to survive a 12-game season in college football, he's going to have to put on 15-20 pounds in the summer. <laughs> and obviously he, he he did. So that was a question mark that at least I had when I watched the spring game. So I missed it. You want me to keep going? <laughs> You're unbelievable. <laughs> so what what were you getting at on Clemson? No, I'm just saying it seems like it would it seems like I was sitting actually sitting down for a minute. I'm sorry. It's, okay. No, it's no, I'm the one jumping up to talk. I, even if I sit down, I no. can't not talk. Is it seems like Clemson should be if they have the better quarterback, it strikes me they're the better team. Two separators that, that really got Clemson over the top last year. You're right. You named one, Trevor Lawrence. The other one, and I did talk about this last year, Clemson's defensive line. Yeah. The best defensive but, but, line. But you got Alabama over them. Yeah. I so think- Alabama has to be clearly back. Quarterback's so important these days. Yep. If, you're, does, if there's any discernible difference advantage Clemson, as you say, and I think most people agree, yeah. 
even though Tua was like 90% to win the Heisman entering the last week, which seems crazy that now he's, he's not even considered the best quarterback coming in to this he's year. Sli- yeah, slightly better, Trevor Lawrence. You just said that you thought Lawrence was better. Yeah, he's better. Exactly. So I'm saying yeah. if it's discernible, if it's even, I know you think in hundreds of points. A point better. All right. Then now Alabama, to be better by a point, has to make up two. Yeah, and I think the, the rest of the roster is about two points now, better. Obviously you think that. That's why they're yeah. one point better. I'm saying, boy, that's a tough hill to climb, I think. Yeah, but Alabama. Like you're getting fuzzy here. Say, it's like, I think they're one point better. Well, the quarterback for the other well, team well, Obviously it's two points. Here's two separators. I mean, obviously what goes into my power rating this time of year, because we don't have a lot of games to judge, talent. And if you average Alabama's recruiting classes the last four or five years, number one in the country. First of all, do you take that seriously? Now, I know number one's better than number 30. Yeah, but, but Clemson's like eight or nine. So they, they were eight or nine for every freaking. They were, what were they last year? The average was 16, wasn't it? Yeah, when you did the more, same analysis. Yeah. Okay, they did fine. They did. Now it's kind of scary if they're nine. Here's another factor that I think Alabama is secretly, you know, better than what the market considers them. So a lot of people are talking about, oh, turnover, coaching turnover for Alabama. Again, third year in a row, Saban's got to replace his offensive and defensive coordinators. I think both those hires this year are an upgrade over who they had last year. So that's a a kind of a hidden advantage that that Alabama has this year. You're not buying it. All I know is this. You're getting to be the age that you got to worry about getting set in your ways because it's funny when you're 35, you certainly don't feel like a kid, but you don't, you you know, you can remember 28 and you do kind of feel, you know, like before you're 30, you know, everyone's different, but I think you grew up on Alabama. It's like, imagine something like some newsletter from back in the day that used to be famous or something. There'd be certain people that would say, oh, when I... You know, could see my penis, let's say, you know, radio friendly over my belt. You know, that's always the guys love it when they were 30 or whatever, because they were adults, but they were in the prime of their life. It's like we like the music typically that we grew up on. Humans are like that. That's why, you you know, it's funny. Why did you cry about Tiger? Because you felt like you were recapturing your youth. That's because you were thinking, oh, I was with my buddies or whatever you were doing back then that you enjoyed. You were probably watching. It sounds like you were crying with them. Oh, no, that was the Cleveland thing. Yeah. So imagine like a businessman who was thinking, okay, I'm going to go and buy, you know, something that was viable 20 years ago because that's what I locked my, you know, that's why they, you hear that 18 to 40, whatever, 45 or whatever the age group is where that's the advertising demo that matters. You know why? Because once you're 60, you don't change your dish soap. You, you know, the theory is you're locked in to what you buy. A young handicapper has advantage. They have disadvantages. They're not like you in your mind, since you can remember, Nick Saban's always been the guy that came out on top. Not every game, but if you, if you had discounted Nick, or you, if you underestimate Nick Saban at your own peril. Yeah. I just wonder, has it fundamentally changed? Not that Saban's worse. But Sweeney seems to be doing with less by the recruiting ratings. Agree. He's un... I mean, you, what's your stat? I mean, it's still going, right? What's the stat in the uh, playoffs where, or in the 
Big Six Bowls or what? You have a crazy stat. Yeah, so it. since 2012, we're just talking bowls and playoff games. Clemson's 9-1 and one straight up and against the spread in those games, and they've been an underdog in nine of those ten games. So Vegas is saying nine out of ten. You're supposed to be one in nine yep. if you just the favorite wins, and they were nine and one. Nine and one. I, I mean, and now they're starting to go from sixteen. When you that average was how many years? Was it all the players? Yeah, on the it was roster? all the players. And so, and it's all the way down to eight or nine. It is, and it's even getting better because Clemson right now for next year is going to have the best recruiting class in the history. Well, of college look football. the f out. I agree with that. Here's what I will say. And this was right after the national title game. You asked me and Fezzik, hey, Clemson just blew out Alabama. Alabama came into the if game. they replay, what would the line be? What would the line be? And both me and Fez, pick them, maybe Alabama won. And here's, here's how I'm going to verify. If you said how's the change on who lost more or who – like the net – whatever the difference was last year – What's the I thought Clemson change? lost a little bit more than Alabama. All right, so whatever the line was last year, if they played the first game this year, you think Alabama should have a slight, what, three hundredths of a point? Yep. <laughs> oh, jeez. <laughs> really getting after it. <laughs> so all I'm saying is I see you locked in with Nick, and it just feels like – and again, I don't think the Alabama's any worse. If anything, they look better. It just seems like almost like with you and Fez – that perhaps he was the baddest cat around until I showed up. Maybe that's Dabo's thing. Mm. Well, I'm saying they'll get locked in. I'm not locked in. But to finish the point, because I do think it's a good business lesson, and it was one I struggled with. You know, I was I flirted with some deals, one specifically that's not public, not that long ago, probably a year, in which. It would have been like, oh, wow. Like the people that were around in 95 would have said, wow, that's big. RJ arrived. And in a way, if I wanted to affirm myself, this would have been it because it, it's what mattered to me. It's almost like imagine if the Oscars got really small in the future, which they won't probably. If you won an Oscar, but you were of age when the Oscars mattered, you'd be like, yay. But all the kids would look around 20 years and say, what's, what's the Oscars again? That's how a lot of business people are when they when they their brains are, I don't know, imprinted. Maybe is there, I don't know what the word is. Is where you get locked in, right? Because they talk about you know, the 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 uh, plasticity of the brain, where how flexible it is in a way. I guess decreases. We get stubborn. You know, Colin always talks about that. So that locks in, and then you go through the rest of your life with a lot of those same beliefs. And in business, that's dangerous. If you're buying, like imagine today, buying like an old school newsletter. Like like you worked for Phil Steele. Yep. And not to give away, because again, not that you sign any non-disclosures, but we just want to respect, you know, this the confidentiality of his business. But I think everyone could guess the print newsletters as the year you were with Phil for seven years, which ended how many years ago? Four. So 11 years ago, you yep. started. Four years ago, you left. Yep. And as you could guess, the print of the newsletter, which is a very good newsletter, I think, to this day, and probably the best newsletter throughout that whole time, in my opinion, especially on the college side, it'd be fair to say that the drop-off on the print was, was, was precipitous. Yes. So imagine if I'm thinking, oh, I'm going to buy... 
and this wasn't the deal. Phil, you know, the Phil Steele's newsletter. When I was coming up, Phil was older than me. It was like that was the 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 holy grail. Now I own it. But it'd be like owning the best buggy factory in you know nineteen forty or something. So to me, if you're a business person out there who's listening that tries to learn from me, and again, I've got limited lessons, but I think I've learned some. You can't let your history dictate your logic as the years go by. And that's why having uh, kind of business 101 is you want to have diversity of voices in the room. And that sounds like some PC stuff that a lot of people would say, no, I don't care. But think about it. If one guy you know, grew up on a farm in, outside of Cleveland – and, and now there's a girl that grew up in the South and there's a guy who is a person of color who grew up in, you know, wherever. And all of a sudden now, obviously you got to get along. You got to enjoy working together. But if you do, you're going to have all these perspectives, right? And age, just think of age. If, you, if, you, if you're, I'm 48, I'd like to have people older for me work. I'd like to have people younger. I'd love to have every five-year period. Because now you can, you know, you see Bill Simmons doing this. He'll talk on the pod and say, well, the ringer kids where he's, I mean, he's 50. I think he turned 50 just recently. So a little older. And he'll say, oh, they're listening to this or they're doing this. They get this new app. How would you know that if you aren't around a diversity of opinion? And, and I do think what happens is when people who aren't comfortable with, you know, other uh, cultures, you know, or even females, you know, in some cases. And in this industry, there's a lot of that old school, you know, all the same age, all with pot bellies, all going bald. And you look and you think, hmm, I bet they all agree with each other. And I've always said that with handicappers. If, if two guys agree, I can fire one of them. Because they're, you know, <laughs> I, I know what they're going to say. Yeah. So, do you, I mean, as, as I'm saying that, does it feel like maybe... You were going to some default, like, this is bedrock for me, Nick Saban. Yeah, to a certain extent. So reconsider. And maybe even by a hundredth of a point, you can tweak it. <laughs> That'd be hilarious if you did a tweet and said, Re-, you know, RJ gave me some good feedback, reevaluate Alabama, and you brought, <laughs> right, brought him down a hundredth of a point. I'll do it. <laughs> I can do it. I'm, not, I'm saying maybe don't. It might, it might <laughs> no. draw too much attention. All right, go ahead. All right, so we just talked about Alabama being one of the contenders. The other contender, clearly, is Georgia from the SEC East. And, you know, generally speaking, Georgia is the type of team I usually would be by sign. Uh, because what, what happened to Georgia most recent? Last time you saw Georgia on the field, they lose that heartbreaker to Alabama in the title game. And then as a double-digit favorite, they lose to Texas. In a game, they really, Georgia didn't show up, didn't mean anything. So a lot of times I find value on these teams. Well, the, the value's kind of been sucked away from Georgia because right now they're being priced in the futures market as the third best team in the country. And that's where I have Georgia number three in the entire country. So speaking of having different perspectives, Daryl, you spent a lot of years in Atlanta. We were just talking about you on talk radio where you were on air and you said you had a perspective on Georgia that surprised me a little bit. Oh, what that? Oh, any, how, how, anytime, no matter slow, how, yeah, anytime, anytime you talk, of year. Yeah. You talk Georgia football, everyone's happy. Yes. And I can't stand it as a person <laughs> that went to Georgia Tech. I cannot stand it. Now, I, now, did, did 
was this the case when they had the prior coach and uh, with Mark Rick? Yes, yes, yes. But it was more people complaining. It's been like that since 97, since I've been in radio in 97. It was probably before that. When I first started radio, you say UGA, it's a hot-button topic. Now, do you have? Do you feel like you – because you don't try to act like a handicapper. No. So, and, and that's good because I always think non-handicap – like when I see like a Duck Kazarian on, I think it's important he acknowledges that he really doesn't know sports batting. And then he can – you know, he's a host, right? And, uh, you know, I don't watch – that show, but you would assume, I mean, I have to assume that he is very clear about that. And he's the professional host. I think that's great to have a professional host. It's just when the guys try or gals try to act like they're experts and they're not, I think is where the problems start. And, and even me who let's be honest, I don't know if it's 99.99 or 999, but as Bobby would say, Oh, hold on. We got it. (laughs) <laughs> so my professional life is like at a nine and my personal life is at like a two <laughs> there you go is Fezzik is at a different level than me he really is it's just hard it's almost like that uh what's that goodwill hunting line he goes there's only 10 people and again it's not 10 but there's only 10 people in the world that know the difference between me and you but i'm one of them Fezzik understands things that i don't he spends almost all day at it. I can spend a third of my time if I'm lucky. But I've spent a long, many decades at it. You're watching all the spring games. I'm watching none of the spring games. So to me, it's not even about are you an expert or not. It's who's the expert in the room. And, hey, I can try to tear you down. I can try to attack your points. I but, like it. But you should be able to come back and, yeah. or you should reevaluate. So, Daryl, I guess my question is quickly – do you feel like that, though, not as a gambler, that you got a real good feel for Georgia? Yes. Then I would say really make an effort to keep up with that because now that you're in Vegas, maybe you wouldn't because, boy, Georgia's going to be in the conversation a lot. We'd love to have a Georgia expert. Um, I wouldn't be an expert, but well, I, could help you. I could help you with some things. But um, I'm not saying expert like a gambler, but like if we say, hey, this, uh, you know, they're, they're using their backup running back let's say there's an injury, you're going to probably have a better feel for how good that player is, right? That's true. Yeah, that's what we're talking about. I got you. No, I just don't like that team. Well, good. That means you <laughs> won't be biased. In fa- just, just don't be biased either way. <laughs> I will not. So, I mean, overall, Georgia's going to be favoring all 12 of their games this year. And, and from a recruiting aspect, another thing to, to look for, <laughs> in the chink in the armor of Alabama, by next season, Georgia will have the most talented roster in college football, not Alabama. Uh, that's the favorites, Alabama and Georgia. Let's move on to the contenders. So somehow Clemson's not even in the conversation. Oh, we're talking the SEC. Oh, but you just said in football, most talented roster in football. Clemson. Isn't Clemson in football? They'll have the best recruiting class, but they'll be freshmen. But so you're saying that the team that seems to win it, you know, pretty much when Alabama They have the best coaching it, staff. All right. Keep going. Fair enough. Let's go quickly through the contenders. Yeah, contenders, I'm just going to list them. LSU is a team, and I think this is a very key point. And let me just say this. LSU is number four in my power ratings. My power ratings are not an AP poll vote. So even though I have LSU number four in my power ratings, because they play six teams in the top 15, you project you know, my power rating out throughout their schedule. I only have LSU like nine and a half wins. So don't overlook into that. That's- Which brings up the point we'll be talking about in the weeks to come. Power. Oh wait, 
This is important. Power ratings, <laughs> power ratings are how good the team is intrinsically. The situations of a schedule are considered separately. Exactly. And that's a key distinction. Finally, contenders, Florida on the other side. Dan Mullen, great job last year. Won 10 games. How would you assess the LSU coaching situation? Shockingly, man, I last year Ed Orgeron comes in and I thought he was good as gone. Here's an LSU program uh, that had won eight or more games 18 straight years, RJ. Season win total for LSU last year was like seven. So the expectation was Ed Orgeron's going to be out the door. What does he do? He upsets Miami, Auburn, Georgia. They win 10 games. And on paper, this is his best team yet. The question I have is, okay, it's his best team yet. How does he handle expectations? Handled the underdog role well last year, but now he's considered, hey, it's going to be a disappointment if they go 9-3 and three this year. All right, let's go to buy and sell. All right, I'm buying the Tennessee Volunteers. Here's a team's second year of a program under Jeremy Pruitt. Hold on, I actually got a Uh-oh. little draw for you. I got 75 with Eve 80. 80. Yeah, I'm going back to my Phil Steele days. Just a blah, 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 blah. Just going really fast. You know my dad's an auctioneer? No. Yeah, he's an auctioneer. Did he ever practice at the house? Yeah, oh, yeah. He oh, did. He do like that was nursery. Oh, my God. Nursery. <laughs> I know the nursery rhyme to this day. Oh, my God. Uh, it's ten- still your speech lessons aren't working. Nah, I've always. I, I had to go to a. Man, you're bringing up bad <laughs> memories. I had to go to speech therapy. We don't want to hear any tears here. Let's go. All right. Bye, see. Buying the volunteers. What I have found, at least in the last 10, 15 years of college football, I think the old timer is going to say year three is the year where coaches and these teams really rise up in a program. I have found the case to be year two, at least recently in college football. This is year two for Jeremy Pruitt. They have the most experienced team coming back in the SEC, 16 returning starters, top 15 recruiting class and the schedule that's much more manageable for Tennessee than what's been in the past. I think Tennessee's a team that goes from five wins to at least seven. I'll be looking to play the over on Tennessee. So is there any number out on this? I've seen one offshore book have Tennessee at seven wins. All right, so if that sticks, you think there's going to be value? I I would lean over. Lean? But I'm ho- this is like your best buy. Well, I, that's one book. I mean, I'm hoping to find six and a but, half. But let's assume if you like it at seven, you're going to like it more at six and a half. We got it. But would you make a bet at seven? I would, a half game's enough, right? As long as the over is one. Yeah, half game's enough. I can tell you what I have max bet on Tennessee already. Individual games, games of the year are markets. The, are, are, those more, are those bets still available at the current price? They have moved just a couple of points. Okay, that means that you owe $50. We don't want to hear about all your... Remember, we're not supposed to be talking about all your tickets. Because that's what they... That, when you hear everyone talking about... All, now, listen, we'll give you a break on that one. Because you put them... You actually put all the tickets out when you bet them. Yeah. But... To me, there's so few people that's got those markets. You know, I think you're right to say that we we got to wait and see what the market is. I was just interested to see what your buy price was. Seven. Yeah, it sounds like it's more 6.75. Like, I'd prefer that. Well, who wouldn't? Yeah. <laughs> so you're saying you would rather lay three than four. <laughs> Fair enough. Uh, right? I mean, yeah. the question is, what, like Fezzik, one of the things I think we've done well is when the line's not out yet, and he did in the WNBA, and I think that if I recall, he had a winner last week. What's the buy price? I mean, this is the last price I'll buy at. But anything below, I'd like better. But if it's $1 or one cent more, I don't buy it. Buy price for me on Tennessee, seven. Minus 110 over. Yes. All right. We got it now. But you'd prefer six and a half. I would prefer six and a half. And I'm thinking, I'm not sure, the six you'd like even more. 
Yeah. All right. Let's do it. All right. That's Tennessee, <laughs> team I'm buying. Team I'm looking to fade, and I know you got inside information on this team. I don't know. No, Ken- no, no, no. No inside information. Kentucky. At least maybe. I follow them. Yes. And here's why I'm. Here's one thing that I like to do when I'm fading teams. I'm looking for historical outliers from a team. And not necessarily a program on the ascend, but maybe something that, that, that a team just just performed last year, like Kentucky, won their most games in 40-plus years. I'm looking to fade that team the next year because there's kind of an historical, how would I say this? I mean, a team, when they historically perform at a level like seven. Baseline. Baseline. Thank you, RJ. And I think that there's, and, and this is something that the college basketball handicapper, Alan Boston, was the first guy to really drill this to, into my head as I listen and read his stuff. Um, I used to play poker with Alan, but I don't know him very, you know, all that well personally. He was on our Vegas radio show uh, one time, which was nice of him. The idea that if you got 20 years of an institution, a program, and for 17 of them, they were within this range. Chances are the long-term macro factors, what's the weather like? You know, Colin talks about that all the time, how the cold weather teams, except for Ohio State, really aren't doing as well because of all the seven-on-seven passing. Or, you know, we can speculate because the kids don't want to go there. Back in the day, things were more, if you grew up in Ohio, you go to Ohio State, you grew up in Pennsylvania, you know, if you were good enough. Now these kids, they all feel like they're international, or at least nash, nationwide citizens. I don't think many is afraid to go to Texas if they want to go to Texas. I agree. And I think because of that, if you grew up in the cold, who wants to, who wants to be in the cold? So <laughs> there's all these institutional kind of macro factors that aren't always easy to see. But boy, when you see that trend, when that baseline being within a range you better figure out why a team's out of that range or they probably won't be out for long. Great point, RJ. And let's talk ten, uh, Kentucky's baseline. Won 10 games last year. Kentucky hadn't topped eight wins in any season since 1984. So it wasn't like... Now, is, Bob St- or is Mark Stoops building a different program? Fair question. And if I'm looking at a team that performed, you know, if they're seven, eight wins, nine, ten, then I could understand it. Hey, he's certainly building a different program. But prior to that, I mean, he'd been relatively consistent the two, three years prior to that, hovering right around seven wins. And here's specifically why I'm looking to fade. Well, what what caused that 10-win season last year for Kentucky? They had a couple of historically great players as far as Kentucky's program. All-time leading rusher Benny Snell, gone. Josh Allen, the defensive end, was arguably the best player in all of college football on the defensive side of the ball. You just don't get those guys at Kentucky year after year. He's gone. He was the third pick in the draft. Sorry about that, go ahead. Both both of those guys gone. I'm looking to sell Kentucky. Buy price for Kentucky for the under. Under seven and a half wins. Seven and a half. Seven and a half. Okay. Seven and a half wins. Ten. Let me say, yes, let let me say this more as an observer of Kentucky. I do know Mark, and uh, I know coaches, but I haven't talked to him about this. And I don't. I never put people in that situation. If they tell me, I just listen. I would say the following. When a team has a lot of success, there's also the sense of not doing all the little things that led to the success. And I would say, as I say positively, when Mark's teams are emotionally up, they play almost like Seattle. You know, they got that college raw, raw 
Mark's a great motivator. But Mark himself is the type, if he, if he hits the lottery, you know, one day, he's probably sleeping in the next day. And my guess is if a team is susceptible to that drop-off because of the success, Kentucky, you know, a Mark Stoops coach team, I think, has a better likelihood of that than most. So I, that makes me pessimistic. Last year I wasn't, as you went through the season, saying No, you were very spot on when it came to Kentucky. And, and, and I thought that you were thinking, oh, they'd get, they would get tired. And I think physically they did eventually. But it was more that they were riding that emotional wave and Mark's great at that because uh, he really does. Like, those players relate to him. That's what you see. You know, you would think, you know, the minority coaches that are, you know, with many of the players sharing that culture often are great motivators too. But there's a certain type of, you know, not, not, I guess you say non-minority coach that, they, that the players buy into. And it's usually a, a guy that played. And people don't realize because Mark is, like, not tall and he's not big. He played at Iowa. Now, it was a family tradition, so he probably wouldn't have no. been there if it wasn't for Bob and, and uh, Mike. But the fact of the matter is this guy played college, and he, he looks like he's the kind of guy, even at his age, you know, getting – I think he's actually a little – you know, he's probably over 50 at this point. Well, you can imagine him – you know, get in a bar fight. Yeah. You know, before you do, if you were a kid, yeah. or out drinking you, quite frankly. Yeah. So, not that he's <laughs> drinking with the players, but there's just, he's one of those guys where you get like a Belichick, you're not thinking he's going to drink with you. You're just thinking he's so freaking good, I'm going to listen to the guy. The coaches that don't have either, they're so good, saving or whatever, I'm going to listen, or he's one of us, even though he's a lot older. I think those are the coaches that struggle. And if you are one of the guys, in a way, as the coach, those teams usually have hot streaks and cold streaks because the coach is susceptible to the streaks as the player sometimes. Have you seen that? I have seen that with Kentucky. But, I mean, other coaches like Other coaches as well because, I mean, when when it's going good, and that's been the case of Kentucky, early on in seasons, things are going good, they're overachieving, and then a couple of, you know, bumps in the road, and then they don't uh, live up to expectations. I got to tell you, RJ, very sharp <laughs> on <laughs> well, some of the. I appreciate it. And, and again, to me, what I don't have in college is the time or the inclination, quite frankly, to dig in like you. But when I have the info, the fr- and that's the thing about batting. You know, Daryl was asking me about we were going to look, and we, we didn't get time to do much of it. Sleepy did it, the game seven in the hockey. I'm not a hockey guy at all. And he goes, man, are we going to be able to cover that? You guys never talk hockey. And my answer was, there's a framework to gambling. What's the price? Where did the line move? Does this price seem right? Does the mark, you know, is there an abundance of people on one side? We could apply to uh, Tiddlywinks. If there was, you know, if you go to Pinnacle, you can see there's darts, there's all these markets. Not that I bet them, but I think there's a gambling framework once you learn it that you can apply to any sport if you know then the information about the sport. But listen, coming from you in college, I'll take it as a big compliment. So, it's best bet time. It is. Now listen, last thing, and then we got two best bets and we're out of here. The singer of the Blossom theme song passed away last week and literally was so much more famous than you would think. I'm not even going to give his name. I would say if you're, intra- you're going to be like, oh my, I didn't know, look it up, who it was, and it's pretty amazing. Don't know about the beach. 
about getting all depressed. Buy up your pad and pencil. I give you a piece of my mind. All right, so each week you're going to give a pick, Brad Powers, associated with the conference you covered. Exactly, and, and ho- the hope is more season win totals are available and make this easier. So where we're going to go here is week one. So you're already begging off? No. Dude, code of what you just said is if I lose, don't blame me. No, no. What I'm saying is you I'm hoping make it easier. Saying you've got like a, a tough level of difficulty. Well, it's tough. I'm projecting, hey, my buy price on this line is going to be th- this. what pros do, not- buddy. I'm, I hear you. I hear you. But when it's already available, isn't it easier when you already have a line on something? You know what's funny? I actually, most, and, and again, it's been a long part, most of the pros I've been around or even got to see their work ways always make a number before they see the well, number. I do too. So, because to me, and Fezzik lets this happen, he respects the market so much that if the line, like he might make a number at seven, the, if the market comes out at three, He's going to make his number five because he doesn't want to be that far from the market. And I'm not saying if you make it seven and it's three, you don't triple check to see what you missed. But you got to trust your number or how in the hell do you ever lay 110, right? So I actually like making the number beforehand. Yeah, and I do as well. And what I guess what I'm getting at is there might be a team that I'm thinking I'm neutral on. And I have my number on, yeah, say, but if you, yeah, say exactly. a Vanderbilt, and my number's five, and the market comes out four, that makes, hey, I got a no, bet you make here. A, you make a good point. You actually make a great point here. If you had, and I, and I bet you do, if you had every number, you're projected like these are the win that I think would split the result 50-50. Yep. And put that out and said, I'm guessing these two are going to have the most value. It may or may not be the case. It's a good point. So what we'll do is once the numbers come out, we'll have a super pod that will double back. Now, you're going to have to live with the teams yep. you said before. But again, that one book is going to give you an idea. But then if you see any extra value we'll, of teams you didn't think would be priced that way, we'll, we'll give that all in one pod. Thank you. That's what I'm looking for. So don't unsubscribe this summer. <laughs> Fair enough. Best <laughs> bet. We're going week one college football. I'm going to give you a professional handicap here. Uh-oh. Missouri, minus 14 against Wyoming. By price, RJ, up to 16 and a half because I do expect this line to move over the course of the summer. Why am I laying two touchdowns on the road? This is something I usually don't do. However, with Missouri, under this specific head coach, his name's Barry Odom, they are one of the best bullies in college football. Missouri's been a double-digit favorite 11 times under this head coach. They have won all 11 games. They have covered nine of those 11 games. Average cover by 14 points per game. Two touchdowns above Vegas expectation. Average score when Missouri's a double-digit favorite. Missouri 55, their opponent's 18. He's not afraid to run it up. They have a new quarterback that he's going to want to stretch his legs. Kelly Bryant, the former Clemson quarterback, who's not as big of a downgrade as what people are expecting from Drew Locke. Wyoming loses a lot of their top players. Leading rusher from last year. Top two receivers. Their best three defenders. This is being mispriced. Give me the bully. Missouri, minus 14. Buy price up to 16.5 against Wyoming. So this line's not out right now. It is It is out right now. It's 14. Well, it, okay. So you're giving the buy price just saying if somehow a, I expect a given them- person's book maybe doesn't have this offered for a while. Yeah. You know, okay. All right, listen, I love profiling teams because there's just one power rating 
typically, but different guys do different things, right? Sometimes it's how do they do against bad teams. I'd rather just have an offset from the main rating, but you've identified, I think, uh, uh, you've profiled this team to blow them out. I, I think it's a great handicap. All right, Brad Powers, good stuff. We'll be doing the college stuff. And again, if he's going long, we'll be ready. <laughs> but it was good today. I was playing with him. <laughs> I mean, you kept smiling every time I put the clock on. So what am I going to do? I would just want to. Make... I like it. You sharpened me. Yeah, <laughs> that's what I try to do. We're going to leave you with Uncle Dave Esler. He's been winning since Moses wore short pants. It's true. Documented in front of the world. He's got a best bet. Yes, it's true on the NBA game, but it's a derivative. It's for the real pros. We'll be back next week. Game six NBA finals Friday night. Let's see if we can keep it going with our, our free picks here. Love the Warriors first half. Currently minus one and a half. I think we might get minus one. Let me tell you why I can't get to the Warriors for the game. All the talk before this series was about the Warriors bench and how Kerr was going to go 10 or 11 deep. Well, between injuries and game situations, that hasn't happened. And often it's actually been Toronto's bench that's outscored Golden State's, actually three of the five games. And in fact, of the two games Golden State's bench did outscore Toronto's, they lost. So let's look at the last game. Golden State wins game five by one point, shooting 47% from behind the arc, holding Toronto to 25%. Both of those numbers have to regress. Back to the bench, Ibaka, 17 minutes, 15 points. And in game five for the Raptors, Powell ate 12 minutes, was plus six. Who was the best plus minus for the Warriors? Kevin Durant in only 12 minutes. Those are all the reasons I can't get to the Warriors for the game. However, I think Toronto has to have an emotional hangover from that last game. And this is the last game at the Oracle. I think that magnifies the crowd even more than usual. So just like game five, Golden State has the first half advantage. Warriors minus one, minus one and a half for the first half. I'm all over it. Thanks for listening to R.J. Bell's Dream Preview. Catch the Wise Guy Roundtable each week. College football released on Wednesday. NFL on Thursday. Don't miss any winners. Subscribe on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. Visit podcastone.com and download the Podcast One app. Have a question for R.J.? You can contact him directly on Twitter at R.J. in Vegas. Live the dream with us each week.